Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my great friend, Spencer Smith. In this episode, Spencer and I discuss our journey to Burning Man and whether elements of Black Rock City could be incorporated into society as a whole. We next discuss our journeys with psychedelics and how those have shaped our perspectives on life and our relationships with nature. We then discuss the good, bad, and ugly of Twitter's pre-Musk management team. That dovetails into a broader discussion of mainstream and social media bias and the pervasiveness of censorship. We then dive down the rabbit hole of the long-range plans of imperialistic-minded organizations like the World Economic Forum and consider whether their plans could be speeding up as the broader public becomes aware of their criminal corruption. This naturally leads us into a discussion of the ET phenomenon and the allegations of insiders that the military has been engaged in a psychological warfare campaign to set the stage for a false flag attack to be blamed on hostile aliens. That takes us into a broader discussion of the trade-off between security and liberty and where our world stands today within that pendulum. Next, we discuss Spencer's journey with entrepreneurship and our wellness routines. We end the discussion talking about astrology, free will, determinism, and self-fulfilling prophecies. Outros for this and all episodes available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. Please enjoy. So good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and tonight I'm very excited to be joined by my great friend, Spencer Smith. Spencer, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to uh, hear you and see your face, Jordan. How have you been? I've been good, man. It's been fun. It's been about a little over a month and a half now since we had our pretty sick trip out to Wyoming, and so... Definitely think that's uh, you know a trip we should talk about some more as well. But maybe to kick things off, you know, Spencer, what's uh, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? You know, who you are, where you grew up, where you're at these days. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm from uh, I'm from Metro Detroit. Um, I went to school at Western Michigan University, and then I uh, I lived in Chicago for about seven years after that, and I was working in logistics at. Uh, yeah, working in logistics and and really, you know, doing sales and and, and enjoying it and whatnot, and then, um, you know, eventually decided I needed to move into something more my own. So started uh, my own company. Uh, we do sales strategies and sales processes and structures and and all that type of stuff. We build those for startups and small businesses. Uh, the name of the company is IRC Sales Solutions. You want to look it up, but. Um, yeah, that's what I do. That's kind of where I came from. And um, living in Detroit right now, met you through uh, a a series of music festivals. Um, <laughs> I think we could probably get into that story too. Um, but yeah, uh, that's my story. You know, it's cool. It's it's a funny friendship we've had, and you know, I think Ali had brought this up last time we were all together about like. Because we, we did live in Chicago at the same time, but we didn't hang out too much at that point in our lives. And then since then, you know, we've never lived in the same city. So we've always kind of like gotten together every once in a blue moon for a big trip or something. So it's been a, it's been a fun friendship, man, for sure. We've had some good times. Yeah, I'm glad. It's, it's tough sometimes, especially to like keep the random friendships going, especially if you're not like, I'm not a, a particularly like 
communicative individual. You know, I've, ne- I've never received any awards for my text response times or anything like that. So it's it's nice to have like guys that are always down to just do trips and stuff. And like, I think yeah. I texted you once about that Wyoming trip, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm in. Cool." <laughs> like that's like the, <laughs> for somebody like me that loves to go on trips but hates planning them and like hates like you just choosing a date. Like that's a great quality to have, man. I think that's what's kept the relationship yeah. uh, thundering on. You know. Yeah, totally, totally. I uh, I love committing to trips and not having to plan anything. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was, I would say, our, our favorite part about Burning Man, wasn't it? We, yeah. <laughs> we, I, I think if we had been responsible for planning that trip, uh, we, we wouldn't have such fond memories of it, would we? Oh, my God. I mean, even not doing anything, I feel like <laughs> we prepared so much. We're still completely unprepared. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, like, I think my warmest like clothing was a T-shirt. Like something, <laughs> something with sleeves. And I we did just imagine like the the having like that. Uh, what would be the word? Just bravery today. We've been going on a trip to never even check the weather and not see it's going to be like thirty five or like forty degrees at night. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was uh, that was great. What uh, what did you think about Burning Man? I mean, what was what was your preconception of the event? What was it that made you want to go? And uh, yeah, let's go from there. Yeah, I don't, I don't really recall like having a preconception about it, or if I, I if I did, I don't recall like what it was specifically. I, I knew I that it was a more artistic type of festival. At, at that time in my life, I was in peak festival mode. I mean, I was like a festival monster. I, I like I went to every music festival I could, and um, I didn't like. You know, I always had fun, so it didn't, I didn't really have to look into them too much at a time to decide whether or not this was a good decision. I mean, when you're like 25 years old, like you're just you know unstoppable, right? And so I, Ooh. yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so I don't remember uh, what I what I thought about like going into it, but I I I definitely like. I mean, I love being there, right? There's obviously like um, your your peaks and your valleys, right? Like it's it, it's your highs and your lows with that type of, with really any music festival or any like camping experience for that matter. But especially with Burning Man, because you're you're just you're what do they call it? Like radical self reliance. Like really, mm-hmm. you got to bring the right stuff and like you know make sure that you. Yeah, I remember like one of the first days we went out, we were like drinking like a bottle of champagne, and we're like, when we're done drinking it, we're like, all right, so like where do we put this? <laughs> like oh well actually we need to carry this around for the rest of the week and then eventually bring yeah. it, br- like drive it out with us and then recycle it 65 miles away <laughs> right so it's i but i i kind of like that aspect about it and obviously like the the actual shows and the music was like second to none but i i mm. i love it as like an experience too because it's different right and you get to meet a lot of different yeah. people and like the creativity within that small area for you know what a week or two a year it's just like a, a epicenter of creativity in my opinion like the most inventive camps and like outfits and everything that you'll ever see right yeah what do you yeah what, that was, what like, was your experience with it what do, what do you think no totally i think you you put it really eloquently um you know, I don't know what my preconceptions were for sure. I knew it sounded something different and we 
in that like I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and so, you know, naturally, thankfully, our, our friends Ariel and Chelsea were like ready to plan it and really make it happen. And so, you know, we, uh, we got included in that as well. And um, yeah, I don't know, just, just the whole experience was so eye-opening to me in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, even if I were to go back today, I would have uh, a very different perspective of it, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I, you know, it's funny. I was listening to, um, a podcast a couple weeks ago and it was like, and they were asking about like, if you've ever had a sliding doors moment, do you know that movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't I think it's think so. Paltrow is the main actress. Okay. Wait, what's anyway? The, what, what the sliding door moment? Explain that. Yeah, so the movie's the movie's called Sliding Doors. Oh, it's a Gwyneth okay. Paltrow movie, and and the whole premise is like she's coming home from work one day. I think she just gotten fired, and either she misses the subway uh, just by a second, or she makes it just by a second, and like how her life changes based on these two events. Oh, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, got it. And yeah, and that. Uh, you know, and so I was thinking about like what would be a moment like that for me, and I, I immediately thought of Burning Man because uh, that same weekend, a good friend of mine from high school was getting married, and he, it was like the first one of our high school crew to be getting married, and so I had thought like, oh, like do I bail on Burning Man and go to this wedding instead? But I think you know, obviously, you know, congrats to them, so I missed the wedding, but but I think Burning Man just was such like a pivotal moment for me in my life that like. And in subtle ways, right? I'm sure, you know, if I hadn't gone, I still would have ended up in a similar but different spot. But anyway, it just, it, I, I, the more I reflect on it, the more I do think that it's, like, really had a pretty significant impact on where I am today. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what do you, did that, like, coincide with a career change of yours or, like, a life change of yours? Or, like, what, what was it about that that, would you say, changed the trajectory of your life? Or which part of your life did it change the most? I'd say a couple things. So I think most immediately from that experience, that was my first time with psychedelics. Um, and so that having just the best <laughs> experiences on those at Burning Man, that really helped to change my mind initially about um, about what they were, right? And what, what they could do and, you know, kind of the nonsense that we've been sold about them. Um, but I didn't, you know, do them again for three more years until I, I read Michael Pollan's book. Um, so, so anyway, I think that, you know, obviously, and, you know, I've, I've talked, we've talked a ton about psychedelics, you know, you're like, you know how much those have meant to me. So I think that's obviously been a big part, uh, in my personal life progression, but I think more so than that, it's really helped me to rethink the fabric of our society as it stands today and what it could look like. Right. And I think when we went to Burning Man, I was kind of like, you know, I, I still had some great time and I embraced it, but I almost viewed like the, that idea of a society is kind of like this hippie silliness that, you know, people did for a week, but like we could never actually live like that or at least something closer to that. But the more I, take an honest look about how our society is structured today from an economic standpoint, from a government standpoint, from a military standpoint, I actually think that there's a lot more that we can be doing to just totally rethink 
how we've done it in the past, right? And I think Burning Man is a perfect example of that on a more microscopic scale. Okay, got it. And what, like, what about the the culture specifically? Because, like, I love the the culture of like being yeah. able to walk around and and you know, really, honestly, have 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 no earthly idea what's going to be around the next corner. Like, it could be something yeah. really yeah. cool, or it could be terrifying, or it could be a public flashlight. You never really know, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, you, that I love that idea, and I love the idea of being able to go into like you know a really cool party here or a really cool pop up bar over there. But I don't want to do that for more than a week out of the year, right? I, you know, I, I don't necessarily see it as sustainable, but I see what you're saying in terms of it opening up your eyes to like other parts of you know, yeah. the, uh, like a, d- a different way of like, you know, going about life and, and, you know, just yeah. a, a whole new culture in general, rather than like that, yeah. you know, nine to five, go to work, uh, you know, watch Netflix, go to bed, you know, eat processed foods. Right. Yeah. And I think a couple specific things come to mind with regards to Burning Man, the first being the economic system and the idea of, a community where you don't use cash for transactions. And obviously, you know, I think that the, the Burning Man ecosystem of trade doesn't necessarily work, but as we both talked about, I think if you can move the entire ecosystem, sorry, the entire economy to a a decentralized economy and you can start to like create more, you can, you can create more, forms of currency and and have really more direct ownership of of your economic value and i think can open that up through nfts and other kind of decentralized finance structures in ways that we haven't had with a federal reserve system that's consolidated you know control in the hands of a very small few so that's i think one important way and then i think the other way is, is kind of something you were touching on. And, and just in terms of like the individuality, right? The confidence and just doing something totally weird and artistic and off the wall. And like in that week's time, you're totally free to do that. And you come back to the, you know, the default world or whatever we call it. And, um, and you can't be that, right? Like we, we live in a society that I think, uh, more often than not does not value individuality. And so I think that if we had a society where people were a hundred percent authentically themselves free to be creative and weird and try new things without, you know, threat of social ostracization, that the benefits to society would be, would be pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. That's all great. I, and I, that's obviously like I, an ideal scenario, right? Like I, I don't necessarily think that the decentralized, I don't know. I, the way I look at Burning Man is funny because I look at Burning Man as like this whole like um, just event towards like that type of like free and open society where like you know all the things that you just explained and described, right? But mm-hmm. it's also there because of like Silicon Valley like tech, 
billionaires, right? Like a lot of them are like funding this Burning Man, and which I mean, it costs money, and like they charge a good amount for tickets, right? But like there's there's a lot of people involved with it, like Silicon Valley that are you know responsible for the funding and you know all of the, the the good things that they do for like the city of like I think it's Gerlach that's outside of there that's like obviously for a month out of the year, uh, not their normal sleepy desert Nevada town, right? Um, <laughs> but there's like a lot of good that comes from from the money that's that's put into Burning Man. But it's like a lot of things you don't have to pay for. A lot of the experiences are there because of, you know, people who got wealthy in today's capitalist society, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, thing to think about. And I, I certainly agree with that. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough because as I think about looking to figure out how we can transition to more of a decentralized economy, right, there's no doubt that you have to do it smartly and, and it, it, you know, it's, it's certainly not an easy task. And obviously the people who have the wealth and power today will certainly be instrumental in any type of economic system in the future, right, no matter how much we may try to, to make it more egalitarian and whatnot. So, so it's certainly... Um, you know, valid points that, that you're bringing up. I just think for me, it's it's more just about like, I think humans, you know, and I can only speak to Americans, although my hunch is it's, you know, generally the case across the world that like, in general, we're brought up to believe that, you know, society is structured as it is. You can take it or leave it, but, you know, you can't really change it. And so here's the best you can do is figure out how to be successful within the confines of the existing structure. And, and I think for me, for Burning Man, it just gave me the conviction that you can change the system as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of that you're not giving yourself enough credit for though, like on your own. Right. Like, I feel like if you hadn't gone to Burning Man, you still would have realized a lot of these things. It may not have been that For year, sure. but like, I think that comes with maturity and, and getting to understand like the government and like the, you know, the justice system and, you know, just like the corporate ladder and stuff. Like, you get a little bit of experience yeah. with each of those things. And then you 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 start looking for other ways to live life, right? Like it's you don't want your happiness to be determined by, you know, any of those, right? So it's 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 it. I think that it's it's something that you would have come to on your own, being a smart and like an intuitive guy that like you know you you don't just kind of like put your head down and go through life, right? Like you're always looking up to the stars to like learn more and and whatnot. So. I think that Burning Man was good for you, and I'm glad. I, I, I like that's great that that Burning Man was great for you, and I, I just, I'm saying, I think that like you were probably already having that experience, or or mm -hmm. soon to be, with like waking up to like, okay, I don't know if I want to work at like this consulting or what, what was it VC firm, right, or or PE, e. yeah, PE, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, that's that's good. I think that like. Yeah. In, in that instance, though, like it's it's the psychedelic aspect probably helped, like was was you know kind of like the kicker, right? Like I feel like once you mm -hmm. do that, you can't really go back. Like it kind of like the cat's kind of totally. out of the bag there, and it like helps your brain make fundamental changes that y you just weren't comfortable with before, right? 
Yeah, totally, totally. And I think you're right about, you know, what I've got to a similar place anyway. And it kind of gets into, you know, I think there's an element of both. We have free will and there's an element of fate too. So it's kind of like the universe is always unfolding it's, and it's, you know, up to you to manifest how exactly that plays out. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts as you're talking about psychedelics. You know, what has been your journey more broad, you know, broadly with psychedelics? Right. So um, I'm trying to remember right now. I, I, I wasn't, I, that wasn't the first time Burning Man wasn't the first time. Um, but it, it was one of them. Right. I, I, I didn't really start like doing them that early. And I honestly didn't, haven't done that many since really in the grand scheme of things, but it's, it's, uh, for me, it was, you know, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right. But like small quantities in the beginning, because all you can think about are like these horror stories of, uh, people like having bad trips or whatnot. Right. Like you never, I mean, you do hear some good stories in the beginning, Right, like when you're like a teenager, or you're in high school, or you're in college, or whatever. But a lot of the stories that you hear in the beginning about that type of stuff, especially a drug called acid, and like such a yeah, yeah right. Like that's the <laughs> like, least. Uh, they need a new PR yeah. person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, a terrible name. So scary, right? So yeah. that you maybe yeah, you do hear good things about it, maybe you don't. But like it's, I remember the bad stories of like people going wild, just people going crazy and being like, yeah, I. Uh, I'm never touching that shit again. And so like that, you'll swear it off for like a year or two. And then, you know, you have to renew the lease on like swearing off a drug that you don't know anything about. And eventually that kind of caves in, right? Whether it's at Burning Man or like, you know, somewhere else. But once you do it, obviously, then it's, you, you kind of, you see that it's not all yeah. the scary things it's cracked up to be, right? Uh, yeah. I like primarily have done it in nature. Uh, well, in the beginning, Right, like that's definitely some place that I find it to be uh, really like life changing. Um, like it's it, you can do that type of stuff at like a music festival or whatever, and like it's a more fun music festival, but it's still a music festival, you know. If you, but if you if you do mushrooms or whatever uh, drug of your choice is that it, you know, Yosemite or a national park or Moab or someplace mm -hmm. where it's like already pretty pretty crazy to be out there like you feel a different connection with the earth and you feel a different connection with yourself in relation to the earth and i think that's really what started it for me and got me to look at it as as not really just a like a drug like to me at that point a drug was like something to make parties better right yeah i mean that's kind of like the way it was sold to me like in dare or you know by like the legal system or whatever was that these drugs have no no medicinal usage there's no reason to ever do these drugs ever therefore if you do you're a criminal and you're like a you know a party kid and you're just you're gonna be a fuck up right so uh then you know obviously you have those moments when you're like you're out in the middle of nowhere and you know you're maybe you're in a forest or you're in like a desert or whatever and you're on mushrooms and you're looking up at the sky and you see like a million different stars you've never seen before and you see like pretty much nothing for his eye as far as the eye can see and you can't you know you can't see other people you can't see animals like whatever but then at like then in that moment it's it's more uh transformative into like helping you realize like 
you, you, man, like your your life is like a lot bigger. It, it, it were, you, your meaning in life is a lot smaller than like you really think it is. Like the whole world is not thinking about you, or you know whatever you did today, or if you worked out, or if you didn't work out, or if like you got your your to do list done or not. Right? It's it's just it's this whole thing. It's just this whole big thing, right? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think like having those types of moments where like you, you see the world in a, in a whole different way, uh, that, that was kind of my experience early with those. And, and again, I, I haven't done them like that much since, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's really like, it's, it's a gateway to experiencing like a different kind of connection with other things. Yeah. For sure. And it seems like being close to nature is something that has increased importance for you as you've gotten older. Would that be fair to say? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I went uh, on a, on a trip when I was in, I don't know, I was probably like 14 or 15 years old and I went to a bunch of, a bunch of parks and that kind of spurred my interest. And then, uh -huh. I mean, I didn't go, I didn't step foot in a in like a foot. It's not even like a, a small patch of woods for about, you know, 10 or more years after that. But like that whole time I was thinking of like how much I remembered like enjoying being out there and like not being in a city. Cause I always thought when I was a kid that I was like a city guy, like I was always going to live in a city. I loved big cities, which like, I, I don't mind cities nowadays, but it's just different. I'm not, I don't feel anything when I'm in a city most of the time, but you can, I, you know, I feel a lot more outside, <laughs> but yeah, to answer your question, like is in, I, I definitely have gotten more into it recently or within the last, like, you know, what is it? Five or seven years or so. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you like about being out in nature? Uh, I I just I don't know I think that that's it's that's a silly question honestly because I I I I don't it's just nature is like earth you know like it is just the world right and like when I'm inside <laughs> of my house I think about like politics and Twitter and like just Netflix shows and like you know what I mean and that like that's not really stuff that's like it is like enjoyable to like rage scroll through Twitter and it is enjoyable to like binge <laughs> watch like a TV show but it's not when you're not in the house and you're not in a city or you're not in your, your neighborhood or cul-de-sac or whatever, like you just, you're not really not, not, not that you're not even thinking about that stuff, but like, then you realize like, Oh shit, like that is just a tiny part of life. And like, there's all this other cool stuff to look at. I personally like adventure and like exploring. It's not like I'm doing this all because like I'm a super deep human. I'm really not. I just, I, I like to like go out there and just like camp and, and, you know, explore and climb mountains. Yeah. <laughs> so you talk about rage scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah. What's, uh, what are you raging about these days? Uh, I don't know. Well, you, you know, with me, it's always like about nuclear is always like, well, within the last like year or so, been my big thing. But um, I, I, I've, I've been trying to take a little break from Twitter lately because it's just not good for me. Uh, or I, I don't know. It's, it's fine. It's just like it's. I don't ever walk away from like scrolling feeling happier, 
right? Or or more positive. And if it doesn't make you feel better, then what's the point, right? Like to a certain extent, I kind of need it, like to stay up on things for like business and and whatnot. But uh, I wish you could just like turn politics and and stuff off. Yeah. Well, I guess you could theoretically tailor your Twitter to you know eliminate that. I've tried, but but Jordan, I'm like addicted to it. Like I, I'll I'll yeah. still find myself searching like the real like uh, controversial accounts. Like every like month or so, like oh, I wonder what yeah. what went down over here while I was gone. You know, like, it, it's <laughs> it is addictive. You know what I mean, right? So yeah. I like I I'm not. It's not all their fault, right? Like it's it's these these social media companies are definitely tearing away the fabric of our society, but they're doing it based off of like psychology right it's your own brains yeah, that choose, right like it's your own brains yeah. that cho- that choose to be stimulated by you know things that make you angry or things that make you sad so yeah. they're just i mean why wouldn't they you know tailor your feed to that like the the, the news has always yeah. been like that like you turn on the nightly news and you'll hear about every murder within like 50 miles of you you do not hear about anything good. It's just like, all right, so there, we got a checklist of murders to talk about. So there's one in this park over here. Yeah, right. There was a domestic assault murder over here. Like, it's like, okay, cool. I don't, <laughs> I, I cannot turn the news off fast enough, right? But uh, yeah. at least with Twitter, you get to learn cool things here or there. Mm-hmm. How do you think that uh, Twitter's management has been doing the last couple of years? I, uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, you really set me up for that one. I uh, I think uh that Twitter's management is 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 probably the worst in any company that I'm aware of. Really, I it's obviously been in the spotlight a little bit more now recently with uh Elon Musk and all of that, but I think it's just uh, a joke of a platform. Like the uh the board of directors, I mean, these people are like <laughs> They're not like business people that worked really hard to get there. Like one of the, like one or two of them don't even have Twitter accounts, right? And they're controlling. Yeah, I think it's one of them. Yeah, they're controlling like the the town square and like they have a vote on the board. Yeah. And they don't even like have their own Twitter account. They must have burners, right? But I mean, I, that's just funny to me. But it's I just think it's an organization that's clearly, uh, you know, wanted to. Uh, do things their way, right? And and do mm-hmm. which is like okay. Obviously, it's a public, you know, it's it's it's, it's a corporation, right? Like that's what they that's what they want to do. But what it, what's annoying about them is that they're not honest about it, right? Like they, in fact, they just come out yeah. and straight lie about things. The way that their content moderation policy works, the way that their algorithms work, the number of spam bots that they have, like all these things are like just horrible problems that they just seem to be completely oblivious to. But completely oblivious to the fact that like <laughs> there's people that like, are able to look at the facts and like look at like the political donations of the, for, for instance of, of the people that work at that that company and see that oh well it's ninety nine point what what was it eight percent ninety nine point eight percent something insane of them, yeah uh, of the political donations from Twitter employees are to the Democratic Party and they simultaneously will say that there's no left leaning bias right and. Which is just hilarious because I don't, I don't, like, I don't understand how you cannot have a bias if, like, that's what you're into, right? Like, if you look at like a like Truth Social, Trump's platform, of course there's a right-leaning bias. Like, I don't, I don't even, I would hope that they come out and like are a little open about that. A lot of like, uh, 
publications are right but it's it's just it's just funny that they're that they're kind of ignorant to that and um i would love to see this thing happen with elon musk i don't know what's going to happen with that uh considering that he's suing them now i would assume that he's smarter than them and another thing about the twitter thing is that jack dorsey i mean he's come out publicly like speaking horrible things about the board too Saying that they're the reason that they is, is he still on it? No, no, he left. The board, or wait, I, I, well, he's not the CEO. He, I don't, I don't can't recall if he has a board seat. I knew he's not the CEO. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he anyway, but yeah, he. I mean, when the founder and CEO, longtime CEO, comes out and says that in a in a Twitter response, I think it was to somebody saying that the board was the reason that they've you know been unable to grow or unable to grow at, at their predicted rate within the last like five or ten years. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah. Do you? Um, so I think one, you bring up such a good point about the left leaning bias, and you know, I think I was very victim to that with all the social media platforms for sure. Uh, um, going into like both of both of Trump's first and second elections, right? Um, or you know what I mean, like the twenty sixteen and twenty twenty election, uh, and then the more. I started to see how pervasive the bias was across not just the tech platforms, but also traditional media. Right. And I think it's, uh, the more you, the more you're kind of aware of that systemic bias and, and, you know, frankly, corruption, right. The more I think it opens your eyes to the clear inequality of treatment on, on how news is presented regarding politicians on the right versus the left. Right. And like, and like I said, I say this coming as like a, you know, bleeding blue liberal my entire life, right? It, but then you have to just take an honest look at it. And what I don't understand is when did the party of democ- Democrats and, and civil liberties start to support the suppression of free speech? That doesn't make any sense to me, right? Or Or the fact that people are completely convinced that Donald Trump, you know, has done all kinds of illegal stuff and colluded with, with the Russians. And so that's great that the FBI raids his home. Meanwhile, anyone who brings up some of the shady stuff that Bill Clinton has been doing, for example, like flying on Jeffrey Epstein's plane, you know, 20 something times that gets shut down immediately. So it's like, there seems to be some very clear cognitive dissonance in in what's actually going on in both the the kind of social media and the mainstream media and how it's perceived by both the left and the right yeah agreed i mean i think all all of that is is almost even an understatement of how bad it is and i think that the good thing is that it is nowadays like we there is twitter right there is reddit there are well you're, there's there's platforms, there's emails, there's anywhere you could go on social media to talk about this stuff, and there's podcasts, right? There's YouTube, and like while they might all be leaning to one bias or the other, you, you can still converse with your friends and or, or see new ideas and like talk to you know. I think we've talked about like certain podcasts out there that like talk about this stuff a lot, like Joe Rogan, for instance, that that really air these grievances, and so it's it's actually talked about now, right? I, I agree, but I think even there, the self-censorship is crazy. I mean, look at what Rogan did. He has one interview with someone who's presenting 
a, a very qualified, sorry, two interviews with very qualified doctors who are challenging what's been committed by the COVID response, you know, and, and, the, and what Fauci and Bill Gates have done. You know, he has two guys on and then all of a sudden they want to cancel him. There's this video of him dropping all these N-bombs. And it's like, right. barely, you know, he's the, he's the top podcaster in the world and he can barely survive bringing on people who are saying things that challenge the system. True, true. And I'm, I'm not, I was, I'm not saying, like, the, the situation's horrible. It's, a, it's, as, as, it's not as bad as it could get, but it's bad if, you're, if you don't, are not yeah. a big name like him. But the, the point here, though, is that it is at least more in the public eye. You, you, yeah. This stuff happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, anywhere in the world. This type of stuff has happened with the media being controlled by certain political parties and being used just as a microphone for whatever they want to tell the public or whatever, whosoever vote they want to sway during that election. That is what the media is. Ever since the printing press was invented, ever since words were invented, they were invented to tax you and then to tell you who to vote for and to <laughs> what to believe in and who to pray to yeah. right so what i'm what i'm saying is that now at least we've broken through to the point where we don't necessarily need to rely on five newspapers or five network stations for our news we can look to ridiculous like right-wing uh uh, outlets like OAN or whatever, like Fox News or whatever. Like, if you need, if you want to see another perspective, you can see that. If you want to see it, talk like yeah. look at an independent journalist like a, right, a Matt right. Taibbi or like you've got Substack, right? Substack. Substack, right? So there's at least that stuff going on, and I think that the yeah. the people responsible here, and this is the most positive I've felt about it. Each day kind of is the most positive I've felt about the situation because it's they they seem to be overplaying their hand with this stuff and i i think that as yeah. more people catch on to it it's going to be kind of harder to pull it off right like i, I agree does that make sense you know i i i think no, I totally agree. yeah okay I, and i think that also it's one of those things that like you know once you're once you're woken up you can't fall back asleep right or at least it's very hard right and so it's like you know, I think that we're going to see a lot more censorship and it's going to be kind of become a little bit of this like game of whack-a-mole. Um, but for me also, I think, and I, I think to your point about overplaying your hand and, you know, we can go down this rabbit hole if you want, but it's like, I think one of the things we've seen happen in the last, you know, probably decade, especially with, with, you know, more prevalence of the internet and YouTube and alternative media platforms arising is that the group that is controlling the direction of the world order, I think there's a very complicated structure and compartmentalized corporatocracy that they've built around them to protect themselves and to make it look like all these shitty things happening in the world are isolated events driven by corporate greed and bad regulators, blah, 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 not to recognize that it is in fact all completely connected. And I think what you've seen happen in the last few years is that, like I said, with this increased prevalence of like freer media, that people have started to connect the dots much faster than they were planning on and that you're almost maybe seeing them speeding up the plan in response. What what do you if they were speeding it up? What do you think would be like a uh, a result of of that? Yeah, because like what is the yeah well the, yeah. just sorry to interrupt, but like with the the yeah, yeah. World Economic Forum, for instance, we're all like familiar yeah. with the video. Yeah. Like by twenty thirty, you'll own nothing and you'll be happier. 
like what the fuck crickets but that's yeah. right okay great sounds awesome i love crickets uh protein but no right so that's that's 2030 yeah. though right so are, are are you saying speeding up from that assuming they are like the bond villain in the story or somebody similar right but like a, they are for sure a speed up would entail like something new changing with censorship or moderation yeah. or something within the next year or two do you think yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I can't say, like, exactly how or what it you know, necessarily would have looked like otherwise. But, I mean, I think, look, obviously, as we've talked about before, I, I certainly think that COVID-19 was a false flag. And I think that it was sloppier than maybe it would have been otherwise if things weren't getting out of hand. Because that has been a huge way for them to start increasing censorship, to increase surveillance, to start getting people more comfortable with this pharmacological model where whatever we tell you, you're going to inject and you need to be afraid of other people and not look at them in the eyes or the face, right? All this kind of stuff. I think that that has definitely been setting the stage for it. And then candidly, I think the other place where they might be speeding things up is on both the, the conflict with Russia and China. And then where I think they're heading after that is a conflict with an extraterrestrial quote unquote threat so you know i think i think those two oh we went all the way there gonna, gonna be speeding up the timeline <laughs> look i don't i certainly don't know and I, I this is definitely a lot of speculation but this is just kind of reading through the tea leaves maybe what what could be happening totally uh yeah that's that's interesting i i do you where do you think that the extraterrestrial thing comes in I mean, is it? Yeah. Do, you, do you think that's part of the plan? Are they like waiting? Yeah. So how are they? I, I I explain that for me. I need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Are you familiar with Werner von Braun? Does that name mean anything to you? Not really. I think I recognize it from, okay. from you. Okay. Yeah. So he was um, a, a Nazi scientist during World War II who uh, developed one like like a some type of rocket. I think it was. He was brought over to the U.S. by the intelligence agencies as part of Operation Paperclip. Okay. And was one of the guys who was very high up in NASA from the early days on. Um, and he, uh, but actually, like, kind of later in his life, he very much had a change of heart. And so, and so anyways, in his role as kind of at the forefront of rocketry in the years after um, World War II, he got connected to the organization known as MJ-12, which is you know part of the same cabal that is in control of the World Economic Forum. Um, and so, anyway, the idea is that you know he was connected to the people who were who were kind of in control of these special access programs that were now reverse engineering the craft that they had shot down from Roswell and kind of uh, and using that through the private aerospace companies that they owned and starting to like really war game and kind of prepare the globe for a perpetual state of war. So he like kind of his last couple years of life, like I said, had a change of heart and was working with uh, his, uh, his uh, spokeswoman, Carol Rosen, to kind of speak for him as he was getting ill and, and close to death to really go out and advocate for keeping uh, weapons out of space and for uh, nuclear disarmament. Um, and so anyway, she said that on his deathbed, he confessed to her that like, there's this decades long plan that's been in the makings. I, I want to say he died in like the early seventies, but that this MJ 12 group, uh, has this decades long plan to 
orchestrate all these wars, right? That first it would be the Soviets, then it would be terrorists, then it would be third world crazies, then China and Russia, and then ultimately it would be a faked hostile extraterrestrial threat. But this was all a lie. It was just a way for the governments of the world to keep us in a perpetual state of war um, and to continue, you know, siphoning more and more money to the military industrial complex and that kind of thing. Wow. It's wild. It is. Yeah. I, uh, I don't even know where to start. I, you, I think you kind of know how I feel about a lot of the, the extraterrestrial thing, but I'll, I'll say it here, which is that I, I believe in their existence, but a lot of the, um, a lot of the proof is always weird. And I'm like something it, like, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I believe everything that just happened in that story, but then it's, it's, it's like, I can look at it and just, and see, well, I, I don't know. I think that the, like the mil military industrial complex is simply because there's corruption in the government and they just like to pay their buddies in the arms industries. Right. Like, and then I'm just like, all right, so maybe ETs aren't real. Right. Cause like, I, I want to see something like, I don't know, or not, Again, I, I'm sure that they're out there, are, yeah. but the, the, yeah, yeah. the story goes so deep, right? But then the other thing was that, like, as I started reading more into other things that I was interested in, right, mm -hmm. I started coming across a lot of the same stuff that you're talking about, too. And so when I saw you most recently, like, I, I, the World Economic Forum was one of them. Right. And, and right. a lot of that MK Ultra, COINTELPRO stuff was, was another. Right. And, and you know, the Jolly West and the JFK stuff, right? Jack Ruby, like all yeah, of this totally. stuff that like totally. a few years ago, I didn't, I didn't believe, I, I, I mean, I didn't really think about them, but I never would have thought Me that neither. they were like, a, oh, it could have been real. And now it's not even that I think for sure, like the JFK assassination was, 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 was uh, like, you know, something else than what we a think false it was. Flag. Yeah. yeah, false flag. Uh, but it's just it's it's I definitely feel differently about it now that I did before. And then when I'm when when we hung out and you start talking about all the same stuff, but it's related to extraterrestrials, I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm starting to believe bit by bit by bit. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a kind of like a new portion of your life when you start considering an alien uh, attack or a war, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think that, um, and I know that obviously sounds like pretty wild and, and far-fetched, but also like, you know, it's and it's not even just that, right? Like, there's been other folks like um, Richard Doty, who is a former Air Force intelligence officer. He said that he was involved with a, a special access program that was doing hoaxed uh, alien um what do they call it? False indications and warnings where they were, where they would abduct people and make them think that they were being abducted by aliens and like do kind of all kinds of brutal things to them with the whole idea that what they're doing is they're laying the psychological warfare for an upcoming alien attack. And so that we associate them with a hostile threat as opposed to a, a, a force of love and light that's trying to help us ascend past a state of perpetual war. Right. Have you ever seen the movie Arrival? Yeah, with uh, Jessica or Amy Adams, that is. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah it's an interesting take on the whole situation. I I know it's been done before in other movies. I'm quite like that are similar to that maybe, but I, I perhaps I just haven't seen them. But I 
specifically what I'm talking about is how every like country kind of has like their own way of dealing with the aliens that are like you know hovering in their country uh, and even every individual kind of has like a different approach to them like should we bomb them should we shoot them should we talk to them should we draw pictures like right everything is completely different uh, and so I don't know I just I, I always think of that movie when I think about like contact with aliens because like it's not yeah. well I prefer not to think about you know Independence Day I <laughs> sleep a little bit better not thinking that that's what it would look like yeah yeah I think that's right and then that gets into the depths of the conspiracy right because you talk about Independence Day like Men in Black right like you know as we talked about the media always being corrupted I think that their their the intelligence agencies have always been deeply embedded in not just the media but also the entertainment industry and all over Hollywood and so there's a strong argument that the reason that all these alien movies that we see, they're like 90% plus about these hostile aliens where it's going to be a war is again, part of this master coordinated decades long plan to get us associate aliens with a threat. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned men in black. Cause like, that's like one of my favorite quotes of all times in that movie. And I, I think it's something like, you know, 1500 years ago, everybody knew the earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat, and 15 minutes ago, you knew that humans were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. And so I always think about that when I start like realizing, oh, maybe like something I heard of the news wasn't true. Maybe like this stuff that they've said about COVID isn't true, right? So like, what else is are we gonna? What else am I gonna not believe in tomorrow? Or what else? Yeah. You know what I mean? It it, it kind of becomes like a slippery slope of like the more you learn about a lot of like especially the stuff of like the the cia and the fbi like of these like organizations that like even people in the the government think that they're evil in fact many people like you know what i mean it's not even like it's obviously you can look at it as an outsider and be like well you know they stop terrorism and like uh you know they keep us safe at home which is true like i i i i definitely like again using the sleep example i is it though like what I wonder how much tangible benefit having the intelligence agencies has actually brought us from a terrorist well, attack, right? And like, sure, but I would. You know what I mean? What, could you imagine not having any in, intelligence, military intelligence? I mean, I think it's. I think that's hard to say because that would require us having a completely different military. Uh, like outlook, right? Like if we were if we were like a Sweden, right, where we're not the guys that are all around the world being the you know BSD, then 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 I think it doesn't make sense to have intelligence agencies. But when we are the one, because you have to, yeah, I mean you know, Spence, like we are clearly the most powerful military industry in the entire world by far. We are dicks, right? Like we we are. And well, that's so those those are two different when, things. When, you you can have the strongest military in the world and not be a dick. Uh, and I think that that's kind of where we need to go, right? Like we should stop being dicks about it. Yeah. And but still, I I like the fact I don't I'm not I don't think that the military budget is is where it needs to be. Like obviously it could be a whole hell of a lot lower, and obviously like we could be involved in a lot less skirmishes and a lot more, a lot less like sure. liberating and and you know potentially good but usually bad things that we do abroad but i do think it's valuable to have the strongest military in the world i think that if we didn't have that we would be worried about different things nowadays we would be worried like that's that 
there are bad people yeah, out there. I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I think and that also plays into if we weren't the strongest, right, which country would be the strongest? So, um, again, right, like obviously if it's a totalitarian regime, we don't want that. But I think what I've come to the realization of, and I think your, your following shortly behind me, is that the U.S. government as the, U the supposedly democratic governments of Western Europe are in fact far more autocratic and fascist already than they've been made out to be. And we're going dangerously in the wrong direction. So that's, that's kind of why I'm like, I don't, I don't feel safer necessarily with the folks who are currently in charge of our government having all this military and intelligence power. Sure. And I, I, I agree with that. Right. The problem is that too often they, they turn a weapon that's supposed to be used as a deterrent and they use it on the offensive, and many of those times it's used offensively to our own citizens, right? Like these, I mean, we 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 all know like what happened with the Patriot Act and like how it was essentially the death of privacy as we know it in America, and you don't get those rights back once it's signed; it's done. Yeah. The interesting thing about that too, which we I think you and I both realized at the same time when we were watching the show the other day, was that Joe Biden wrote the Patriot Act and doesn't really get credit for that. You don't hear about that much in the media. If, if Donald Trump had written the Patriot Act, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I just imagine, right? So, but either way, I mean, yeah. not to get into that, but again, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very uh, liberal about everything aside from like taxes, military, and gun control. And I think that with the military again i don't like it being massive but i think if it was used correctly which it will never be <laughs> then it would i would feel i i would be okay with it yeah. as like a deterrent right and i wouldn't yeah the classic example of this is something like in israel right where it's like if they don't invest in military if they don't invest in defense they likely won't be a country for much longer right and you could say that about other countries too, but that's just obviously an easy example because they're an easy target. But uh, mm -hmm. to some extent, you do need that type of thing because bad people will come and they will do bad things. I, like France, for instance, has generally speaking a pretty lax like policy when it comes to immigration, and they don't you don't see them fighting in any wars. I mean, not in the last you know two hundred years or so. But they have like one of the highest terrorism rates in the world. This, I think, especially maybe number one in Europe too. And it's like the they're they're I'm not and I'm not even just talking about terrorism. I'm talking about like just bad people in general, right? Like, yeah. So it it, it is it is like a you know you can't really have your cake and eat it too. There, as soon as you start, uh, I don't know. I think I've I, I think I've said enough. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I I agree with that. I think. Um... Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a delicate balance, right, between right security and, and liberty. But my view is that we've just swung way too far into the. I'll get. I'll give up anything, any liberty for a little bit of perceived additional safety, right? And like, oh, you talk for sure. about being liberal on most things. Like for me, like I don't understand when being liberal meant that you support the abrogation of free speech or that you support people having no right to, to say what 
pharmaceuticals I want and, and what I don't, right? Like that's, that's what's scary to me is that like, and I think it all comes back to frankly, the, the people behind the curtains spending more time getting us to turn on one another than recognizing what the true problem is. Right. And that, and that, in my opinion, is that the people who have consolidated all the wealth and power are a bunch of dicks who are literally driving our country, sorry, our world into a very scary dystopian future, right? I mean, there's no way to, there's no way to mince words about it. I know it sounds conspiratorial, but that doesn't make it untrue. And so, so anyway, the point is that like, what I was trying to say is that like, what I don't like is how we've been forced into this like group think me versus you mentality where it's like either I'm, I believe in science and vaccines need to be taken by everyone all around the globe, regardless of age or demographic, or I'm alt-right and anti-vax, anti-science. Like how is, how is that our two options now? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of that is the way that, that discourse happens now today in our country and around the world. Right, it's a it's a blessing and a curse that you're able to converse with the entire world at the same time, uh, you know, anonymously, too. Right. So I think if we if if we didn't all use that as like our primary way of getting the news and uh, communicating with strangers, then it would yeah you wouldn't really think like that much anymore. Like for instance, when we were when Ali and I were were on our trip. We and for those who don't know, I mean, we we essentially for a couple of years went uh, got like a pickup truck and like put all of our stuff in it, and we're living in Airbnbs for a couple months at a time in in different cities. We're still working full time, and we we just wanted to see the country, right? I like as I was saying before, like I spent a good eleven years straight in in cities and just like snapped needed to leave my job and like go see the country and uh as you do that you get to see all of these different areas of the country all of these different people and these different cultures that you wouldn't otherwise normally see uh in you know obviously a small period let alone like some people's lifetime right and what i liked especially about it was you're driving through these each city you're like you're seeing people in baton rouge you're seeing people in nashville you're seeing people in austin and Everywhere along the way, you're seeing people in Colorado and Arizona, and you're seeing a little bit of everything, right? Like even like you can look at like California as being a super liberal state, for instance, but there's really like a bunch of liberal cities in a completely red state. Like everywhere outside of 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 these big cities or you know these rural areas of of California are, are different. But that's not even the point about politics. It's just that about like cultures change and people are very different. But what was unanimously true about everybody that we met and all the experience that we had were like people were so much more pleasant in person than online or like than like the general stigma totally. about society today, right? So I felt like, and we were we were traveling during the George Floyd thing and during COVID for a little bit and before that and a little bit after that or you know whatever. But it was we got to see the world like the, or the country like in different places at different times and in areas that we weren't familiar with and you know didn't know aside from like uh you know, coordinates on a map and everything was good everything was great like nobody had this type of like um there was no us versus them mentality whether like y no matter what type of like race or religion or like 
you know, caller you were. Like everybody was just nice, and like we don't even always experience that, like uh, within our own friend groups, right? But it's just like strangers generally are good to other people, right? Like if you meet somebody on the street, there's like a 99% chance that they're not gonna be uh, like a psychotic person on the complete other side of the political spectrum as you right like there's a, a very very high chance that they're going to be a reasonable individual that you're gonna like and and you know would would love to sit down and have like a beer with if you you know if you really wanted to and like get to know them or something right like nobody's that crazy <laughs> so some of them are definitely but like it, it some of them are, some right of them are. but it those are the those are the only people that you're about online <laughs> Everybody else, for the most part, is, is pretty normal that you have to interact with. Yeah. And it just gets back to what we were saying earlier, like the media and reporting the fear and the murder, right? It's like the entire structure of the system is designed to highlight the extremists, to get people mad at each other, to get people fearful, to convince people that they're confined to sickness and disease forever. And it's just, eventually, I think we have to take a breath and say, who's driving things, right? If the system itself is so rotten to the core, right? Like, we can't keep trying to put, you know, uh, lipstick on a pig, right? Like, we have to address the root of the problem. and, And there's an organized crime syndicate that has been over centuries consolidating power and doing all kinds of legal activities. And until we root out the core problem, I just don't see us getting better. I, I just don't. It's, it's all moving broadly speaking in the wrong direction. If you ask me. And when you, when you say that, like, are you talking about like, just like advancement or like, you know, it, human interaction or like what what is going downhill specifically yeah. right like obviously the economy is yeah. in the short term or however long term it might be but like there's obviously censorship is like a bad thing right but do you see it leading to more division between the country the people in the country and do you see it ever yeah. really escalating out into the streets though because like that back to what i was saying like yeah everything is fucked when you're online when you're in person I, it's it's kind of a better vibe you know so i it is, but but, sure. do you, but do you see that part getting worse and worse as well do you i see- think i definitely see the censorship getting worse i see the power of the pharmaceutical companies to mandate things on the populace is getting worse i think that's a very dangerous precedent I see the geopolitical environment with Russia, Iran, and China getting worse. I see the economy at a place that doesn't make any sense. I think it's it's a house of cards, frankly, that could collapse at any moment, which, you know, you start to add up all these different, different rises in tension. They all feed on one another, which can very much you know create social disrest as well and and bleeding into the streets potentially like you talk about so and i also frankly see that i also see local police departments getting more powerful right and if we go back into lockdowns over whatever the next pandemic is 
now you're on the streets and you get arrested, right? Like, it's just, I, I don't know. And, and look, I, I know that I'm getting dark on it, but I think that this is the direction we're heading if people don't wake up and, and start really making changes here soon. Totally. Yeah. And I think as a, I, I, I do think that people are starting to wake up slowly, but surely and I think COVID was like a, a big kind of like a yeah. cold slap in the face for a lot of people that just said, wait, what are you doing? I'm not allowed to leave my own house. Uh, you know, that, that type of stuff. Right. But like, I, I still, I, you know, going back to it, I, I think that like personally, and this is the way I am as, as a, as a human, like, I don't, I don't expect everybody to be this way, but like, that's kind of intertwining with like the whole nature theme was like, I can go outside and, and this stuff doesn't matter. Not necessarily every time I go into my own backyard. Right. But like, it, it, if you stop thinking about this and like obviously meditation, which we're both into is, is when you do those types of things and you enjoy that present moment and you enjoy like the beauty in the world, you stop thinking about this other bullshit. Right. And, and yeah. I, another point to that is that you, you, you mentioned some unique things for us, right. As, as, as a civilization right now, you mentioned like, I would say five very important things that are, really worrisome to us as, as the future of the civilization. But if you, if you snapshot that and you look at any other period in time, there's been five different things and for they've sure, been just sure. as serious. Right. So it's it uniquely for the first time, we don't have to really worry much about our own safety for in you and our, in our lifetime, we don't really have to worry much about just China invading the United States or some other foreign power invading the United States, right? We don't really have to worry much about war. Like, I'm not saying that it's not possible. It's definitely possible. But compared to any other time in human history when somebody could just roll up with 2,000 horses and archers and big-ass swords, like, that's... We're living in a better time than that. And I think that it's... There's the problems that we have today are big and they're serious, yeah. but they there's no matter what time in life you're going to live, there's going to be very sure. serious problems, and there's has to be a way for you to still enjoy life and enjoy the finer things and the good things about life without really having to think about that stuff too much. Mm-hmm. Dude, I agree. I mean, I definitely hope it doesn't come off that, like I'm not enjoying life. Like, oh, I it, it, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm taking like my response to the extreme of course you're enjoying life i don't mean it like that it's just a sense of like i feel like more than anything with you yeah. it's not that it not that it impacts your enjoyment or anything but that you i feel like you feel more than i do a responsibility to fix things yeah for sure that's fair right like i feel like you you yeah. feel as if there's more of a weight on your shoulder and that you should go out and fix things which is great like i, I think that's a very good aspect right um i just i i i almost look at as as like a whack-a-mole right like if you if if you solved one of them something else would pop up right you're going to be worried about something else to do right like it's just kind of how like you know your your like worry brain works like you're not yours but it's just <laughs> human beings in general like the monkey brain you know it's it's gonna find something to worry about and stress out about and i i i wish it was like something in which because I love problem solving, but when I look at any of those problems that you just mentioned, 
I'm like, uh, all right, fuck it. I'm going to go do something else instead. Like, I don't want to think about this. Like, it's not something that yeah. there's like a clear solution. There's no, there's totally. not a clear solution to any of these things. And even if there was, totally. even if everybody knew the answer and, and like nuclear is one of those examples where, okay, it's good, it's safe and it can save the environment. All right, well, let's ban it. Yeah, let's get rid of all of them. Yeah. Like, yeah, all the ones that are still working, let's close them down too. Okay. So let's burn fossil fuels instead. <laughs> right? Like, you, you look at something like that and it's like, okay, if the solution's that obvious for that and we're still not doing it, like, oh shit. Like, I don't know if I even want to think about this any longer. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. It's, uh, it can be daunting when you start to recognize the scope of the problem. And that is definitely something I struggle with. You're definitely right on. Like, I need to not, you know, put the weight of the world on my shoulders and, you know, it's my fucking ego and god <laughs> complex or whatever you know but like but it's good i don't I, think I you do, should look uh, at it as a bad thing it's still no, good I, I agree i agree it, it's something I, I i i think about a lot for sure and, and i do think that you know when i started key right like i was able to say hey we are institutional private equity investors we live in denver cannabis is clearly going to be a huge industry like who better than, you know, me and my partners to do this, right? And, and I thought the same with Entangled, right? When I start, when I, when I was awakened to both spirituality and the UFO phenomenon and the depths of the corporatocracy and the cabal, right? And, and kind of all their, their interrelation to one another. And for the first time felt like I had a clear view of, uh, at least a, at least a directional path into what was truly going on in the world. And then I had, you know, the benefit of being a white male in America, being self-employed, not having a family, not being as afraid to self-censor as almost anyone else in the nation, right? Like there, there are a lot of factors that I think about that I'm like, I do think I, I, I uniquely can provide a perspective through this platform of entangled and, and, you know, what's to come and that, you know, that I can provide something that is unique to, to the content that's out there already. So, so I, I, I see both sides of it for sure. Yeah. What do you think would be your ideal uh, way of seeing like your ideal, I guess, next stage of your life assuming everything you know the the podcast takes yeah. off and like you know people start being more aware of these ideas even if like outside of yeah. your social circle but people like start organizing more around these ideas do you like where do you see yourself moving totally. to next that's a good question you know personally it's, it's hard to say like i definitely uh internally at uh you know for for business we've talked about you know, in the future, looking to fund companies that are building off the metaphysical principles of like a consciousness-based cosmology, right? So specifically things like uh, harnessing zero-point energy, fight, figuring out ways to harness the power of consciousness, figuring out uh, anti-gravity, right? Because these are all technologies that I'm now very convinced are real, are just but they're just being suppressed. And so I think having our, you know, just the investment platform we can help to both raise awareness of those technologies and finance the creation of, of, you know, really, really exciting stuff that builds on that physics. Um, and then, you know, on the more like, I guess, 
personal side, right? I, I don't know where I go from here. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm doing that master's program. I maybe want to, I don't know if I'd do a PhD pro at some point. I could see myself maybe being like a professor at some point or something like that. But um, I definitely want to write too, you know, for sure. Like I write a lot for the podcast already and I want to start writing books too. So the biggest thing is there's just a lot of stuff I want to do. I got to just, you know, figure out how to prioritize and, and uh, time it out a little better. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, you're in a good position yeah. to do that. And I think that that's like a very uh, freeing thing for many people, which is like having like, you know, your own schedule and your own boss and like being able to like really like, do the things that your brain wants to do when it wants to do them. If that makes sense. Like I, it's nice to have like side projects that you're working on uh, or like, you know, things that you're reading into or learning or, you know, courses that you're taking because like for me, for instance, like I can't, like I, I've been in sales my entire life and like I, I have a, you know, I, I can talk about sales like all day long, but like sometimes I can't create content. Like I just, I can't, like I can't create a lesson or I can't create technology like that I want to create. Like I just, my brain won't think about sales. Like no matter how hard I try to get it to think about like the most like <laughs> remedial things about, I can't do it. Right. And in those moments, it's like, all right, uh, I'm going to go work on like something that I'm passionate about instead. Right. And I think like for me, I'm hoping that one of those things that I'm passionate about, right becomes like the new business right but for you and i right now i think a lot of like what we're doing is taking things that we're interested in and that we have experience with and that we're uniquely positioned to be able to make like a um you know a, a high quality product or service that the market is interested in and turning that into a business where it's not necessarily, I don't know how, how exactly how you feel about your company, but um, it's not, we're not doing it for enjoyment. We're doing it to make money, but with that money, then we can do something that's, you know, a little bit more focused on our passion or enjoyment and a little bit less focused totally. on money. And then the next thing is even more focused on enjoyment and passion and even less, if at all, focused on money. Right. So I think like, that's kind of like, at least my I'm kind of hijacking it, but my, my pathway towards, um, doing something that I, you know, really want to see change in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. And, and that's kind of been consistent with my strategy and like, you know, look, looking at guys like Tim Ferriss and kind of how they went from, you know, starting a niche product, entrepreneur, great cash flow, wrote a book, started a podcast. You know what I mean? And it's, it's that kind of whole idea of, you know, success continues to compound on itself. Um, and, you know, I've definitely seen that in interesting ways too, even just like with this podcast and, and my you know business in Canvas and stuff like that. Um, and I'm, I'm curious on that front, like, uh, you know, how has the entrepreneur's journey been for you, right? Like, what was it like taking that leap to, to branch off and start business? It's been a wild ride, man. I think my favorite uh, um, metaphor for like entrepreneurship is or really building a startup in general, starting a company is, is it's, it's like jumping off of a cliff and assembling the airplane on the way down. It literally does feel like that uh, at many, many, many times, right? Uh, even when you think it's like, okay, we're good and we've made it, like you'll have like some come to Jesus moments where you're like, oh my God, like, how am I going to like, how am I going to get past this? Like, how am I going to get beyond this? Right. So, but I, I, my journey was, was 
interesting because I started off wanting to build technology specifically for the logistics industry because um, that, that's the industry that I was in prior. And I liked the industry in the sense that I, 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 I like problem solving. Like I like, um, I like fast paced, like work with a bunch of other people where it's like communication based, but you're still kind of responsible for your own success. Right. So it's, I like that aspect of it, but I absolutely hated the daily grind. Like you're literally, I mean, you're working 10 hours, 11 hours straight, five, sometimes six days a week. Uh, and you're just dealing with, you know, as, as like a sales rep or as, many people within the logistics like a like a, a freight brokerage you're just you're dealing with like truck drivers all day long which they're great people like i have a great deal of respect for them but they you know it's it's annoying when somebody is controlling your your day like that and can just ruin your day or ruin like a customer relationship that you spent 20 years working on or 10 years working on or whatever right so going from that to entrepreneurship was was interesting because i was i felt free all of a sudden but the other thing that changed was that i didn't make any money in the beginning right like you like you go from like a cushy job where you know you're, you're you're doing quite well for yourself to to zero to like actually zero and uh that's just a a really really wild thing to experience like uh especially when you start being responsible for employees and like other other people uh with your business and whatnot is that like you it's really weird to not get paid and it's really weird to be the person responsible for whether the check bounces or not. And I was always like a really good worker in jobs. Like I, I, I was very competitive, so that sales always worked for me. Like I, I, if I, you know, if I didn't like somebody on the team, like I didn't need money. I just wanted to do better than them, right? Like or just in anything. Like it's just you know being competitive person. You just always want to be first. And obviously, like being driven by money, especially I was more so young when I was younger and, you know, thought that I was the only path to happiness. Uh, like it, it's sales is a good fit. Right. But then learning that I think was, was helpful in me starting my company and like learning like the science behind sales and persuasion and psychology and all of that. Like it, it really helps open your eyes to everything. Not everything, but like, um, you know, just the way like, you know, our, our system works, like capitalism, like ads, marketing like it, it it helps you you know open new doors and stuff when you know how to talk to people and you know that that type of thing right so that was helpful that having that background but as i was saying i started the company wanting to build technology for uh the logistics industry and that's what i started doing started funding some of those projects and then the whole zero dollars a month thing kind of got to me right and i started thinking well like fuck i should probably make money too because like i you know when you're trying to build technology it's a startup like you don't make money for a year or two or sometimes ever. Like look at how much money companies like Uber lose, right? Or like big technology companies that have been around for five or 10 years and still can't turn a profit. But so it's, it, that got to me very quickly. And I kind of like, I don't know, I kind of buckled and then started going towards more. So what I knew how to do, which was sell myself and, and like, build sales structures, right? So it's not like something that I ever saw myself doing long-term, but uh, I knew that there was value in that for other people because a lot of the a lot of the companies that I work with, or especially like when I was younger doing this like three or four or five years ago, which was like a lot of companies that have, they're started by somebody passionate about like a product or a service. Like they, you know, they're either like, 
they're really good at building websites or they're really good like and they're a very good artist or they're like they have like a you know some sort of like i don't know like pet toy or whatever but it's something that they like thought about one day like this is the best idea ever i should make a company and like everybody needs to get a hold of this product right but a lot of them are passionate individuals about that product they don't know how to sell it right so it's it's it essentially i i i want to say it it's it's nice to to really like open be able to open that door for somebody who is just wanting to be able to distribute their product um and it, it's just it's not where i thought i would end up long term because it's consulting right um so yeah the to, to to summarize that right like it, it it started with rocky being an entrepreneur but i always knew that no matter what i did even if it was something that i thought was like extremely boring which i don't think this is then i would still have what i wanted long term which was to be in control of my own life and on a path towards like equity and financial freedom, right? Where like it doesn't really matter the money you have in your bank account. And this is something I I learned a lot from like Tim Ferriss, which is that it's not. I think he calls them the new rich, right? It, it's it's like a term he uses for people that like they're rich but not with money. They're rich with like time. Like they have the ability to like like go and travel and like work from other cities and like you know. If they want to take a day off, take a day off, like that type of thing. You get the benefits of being rich without actually having those zeros in your bank account necessarily, right? So that's really been why I got into this in the first place and why even though there's been many, many like rough days and rough nights, uh, especially early on, um, why like my experience with entrepreneurship has been definitely a good thing, right? It's definitely been a positive thing and I'm, I've always felt yeah. hopeful about it even if I was like scared shitless on that particular day. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. It's, uh, dude, those, those days when you're just like sweating at night, like, <laughs> is it going to make it like, God, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, not always, but it, it's also like, it's, it's a lot of it is just having like confidence in yourself that you're going to make it through and like having like the financial yeah. stability to do it in the first place. Right. Like if I had, you know, if I had a child when I was younger or something like I, I would still be working at a, at a larger company. Probably I, 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 it's not that you need a ton of money to start a company. In fact, you really don't need any, if you don't need relationships, like you don't need a degree in that, like you don't need any of those things. Like most of the companies that, not most of them, but a lot of the companies that we talk to on a daily basis are like, they just, they just fucking wound up there, man. Like they're just there and they're just trying it. And a lot of them are going to succeed. Like you don't need any of those, like those things that are, that are helpful. You really just need like the confidence of like, okay, I'm going to quit my job today. I'm going to yeah. start this business and I'm going to make it work one way or another. Right. So totally. like I, I, I try to stress that part to people who are like still in, jobs or careers that they're not happy with that's like literally like you can start new tomorrow like you literally don't need to do this if you don't want to you can find another job you can freelance you can do whatever it is that you want to do but you can change your trajectory if you're just confident about it and you save up a couple thousand dollars and you know you, you obviously you, you need to have like good spending habits and you know not have like three thousand dollars a month in car payments right like that's obviously a prerequisite but anybody can do these types of things don't need to be special 
God knows you don't have to be smart, right? Like it's just a matter of, of conviction a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that is good too, when you talk about like, you know, you don't need to, to overcomplicate it, right? Like um, is the idea of like having a lifestyle business, right? Like if you just have something that's enough to, make you a steady cash flow each year and you know enough that it supplements your you know normal working income or gives you enough that you don't need to like work uh you know a normal nine to five like that's great right like we don't all need to invent the next facebook or uber that's this multi-billion dollar company that's going to take on all this venture capital financing and grow 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 at all costs right like at the end of the day if you're if you're having a happy life and doing what you want to do like that's that's a pretty incredible outcome too yeah for sure and another part about that which is like a, i think i can't remember if it, i think it's like mark cuban said something about this and i know like i think like scat uh galloway or something too but like they a lot of people have said this quote it's nothing original but it's that like the people that say do what you love are usually like already rich like it's you don't necessarily need to do what you love like it's in fact that's like kind of bad advice a lot of times in what i mean is like you or what they mean what the like meaning here is is just like you can also do something that you're good at and that you could make money doing so you have time to do all of the other things that you love right like if you really really love being a teacher then by all means like go be a teacher if that's going to make you happy but if you happen to be a really like into teaching or like you really want to go into teaching but you happen to be like a beautiful programmer maybe program a little on the side so you have enough money to teach the rest of your life you know what i mean like you can also do things that you can make good money doing so that you have the rest of your time to be whoever you want to be yeah yeah totally so as you talk about, you know, the idea of starting a company and then progressively going to the next step and, you know, kind of doing, uh, doing things that are more in line with your passion, you know, what are you thinking for next steps? How are you going to be who you want to be? That's, uh, that's a good question. Do you mean like within my current company or just like me as an individual or like? I think both. Yeah. For sure. What do you think, you know, what do you think the next call it two to three years has for you? Oh, I, uh, I, I, I never know. I, uh, something that like, I, I'm really been obsessed with lately is kind of building, building systems that again, get me more towards like not needing to be on the computer to make money. Does that makes sense. Yeah. Like I, uh, have been building, uh, like a, our own learning management system and building our own, like some of our own like uh, apps or uh, like essentially web apps and stuff. And so I, I want to see more of that in, in the next few years, which is essentially more as me spending less time, like with other companies and, and building cool stuff. Cause I, I, the more I've, I've gone in like this kind of like consult the quasi consulting type world, you realize that like you really are not doing people a service by meeting with them one-on-one you are but you're doing them a disservice in the sense that you're you have to charge each person individually but if you can create software or technology that is more accessible and doesn't uh, essentially the same job as all of your 100 best conversations put together then 
it's you can help more people by building more permanent things right mm -hmm. so that's really like what i love to spend my time with now and then um over the next couple of years as well but as i was saying like i i kind of you know i want to get into some other like side projects that i'm that i'm more passionate about as well aside from just the money aspect but right now like we're just you know i i i still do like i I, I would I would love to get a little bit more into travel. Like I, we were doing that for so long, and yeah. we we've just traveled a lot like over the last six months. But like more trips like Wyoming or to, uh, you know, other areas that I I haven't been, or even to areas that we have been. But like sometimes it's just a matter of driving a couple hours and and just getting out there. But uh, I find that anytime like I I climb something or uh, you know mountain bike or whatever it is like you feel like a lot more recharged after that so definitely want to start or not start but do more of the things that help sharpen the saw so to speak yeah 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 i love that man sharpen the saw yeah for sure <laughs> do you do anything on like a, a daily basis you mentioned meditation anything else that you think of as like you know, this is this is something that I, I gotta have to kind of keep refining and you know whatever it is in, in terms of self improvement. Yeah, so I I'm really not a great person to ask about that because I I well yeah I I don't have I don't do as many things routinely as I'd like to because for a long time I just didn't have an everyday schedule when we were traveling, living on Airbnbs, and like working from like a children's desk, right? So. Uh, but since being home over the last two years or so, uh, I'm starting to build more of a, a routine. And like, I would say that the one thing like right now that I haven't been able to, I couldn't be tough to live without now that I have it is, is sauna. Like I've always been into saunas, but mm -hmm. I never really, like recently I just decided like, whatever, I'm just going to you know build one in our backyard and did that and do it every morning now. Right. So wake up sauna and then do a cold shower. And like, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. Like a cold shower is like the best thing in the world to me now. I just, it ruined warm showers for me, but I, uh, that's like my one like wellness thing that I'll preach today is just, I don't know. There's something about cold showers, especially when you get to go from a hot to cold environment. Not only like, does it, yeah. does it help, help like release endorphins, but it just like, uh, I it obviously wakes you up, but you just feel great for the next couple hours and, you know, yeah. What about you? Anything yeah, new with really you? Cool. New? No, nothing. I don't think I'd say new. I uh, so I got into transcendental meditation like a year ago, and that's that's been really great. But um, I'd say the last like you know <laughs> probably nine months or so. If I'm being honest, I I let my like physical workout routine slip for sure. So now that I moved, I joined a yoga studio, and so I'm like really trying to like get back into a good, uh, good physical workout routine schedule again. Have you been somebody that usually like goes to the gym or can go to the gym and in, in like not only I don't want to say enjoy it, but like stick to it mm -hmm. like over years and years? Because you know what I mean. There's people that will that I know or that you know that like have gone to the gym like every week of their entire life. Like my mom is one of them. Like literally you cannot hold them back to going to the gym. And like for those people, it's just, it's, it's just the way they live their life. But like, I, I yeah. personally know, like I'll, I'm not going to try to do those types of like workouts or anything anymore. Cause like, it's not, it's not, I can't stick to them. I, like it's, if it's not like hiking or biking or like something else, like where you're not like just lifting a bar above your head, 
then it's I find it hard to stick with. But I mean, w- w- yeah. is that like has that been part of your past, or is that something you're trying to start new? No, it's uh, I've been very hot and cold with it for sure. Um, any workout, I didn't really work out at all until I was probably you know mid twenties, um, and so. I, don't know, I just didn't have good habits built up for it. So when I finally started getting into it, what really changed my life around was, uh, at least in that aspect, was was CrossFit for sure. Um, and I think a couple of things. One, just having that like environment where there's a coach who's helping you out every day. It's super fun and like competitive, but also like I wasn't that competitive, and so it didn't matter for me. And like, but also like we were doing different stuff every day. So like I love that. That really helped me get into good shape initially, and then. I don't know. I think I just got a little bit bored of it, you know, got more interested in, in more consciousness stuff. So yeah. uh, let it slip. And so I was like, yeah, let me just, you know, mix it up, do, do yoga now. But yeah, I definitely, it's funny. I got an astrology reading a couple weeks ago. Like one of the things that, that, uh, um, Kate who read my, uh, my birth chart said was that like, yeah, you like more than even most people like need to really stay on top of your physical health and like not, and you know, build healthy habits and not let that slip. Cause you know, I definitely had noticed that I uh, had developed some bad habits again. And, and they told you that based off of your birth date. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that wild? I, I'm curious to know why you believe that, like why you believe in it, like so, that, that, like that your yeah. birthday would affect parts of your like personality and stuff. For sure. So it all has to do with the principle of as above, so below. Give me one second. I think I can share my screen. I'll pull it up for you, my chart. So it's a lot more because I I get from the tone of your question (laughs) that you have a perspective of astrology that is similar to what I used to think, right? That it was like very much basic and you get a zodiac based on you're born on December 21st and you're Sagittarius and like that's the extent of it. So uh, so a couple of things. Number one, I think uh, as I've come to accept a consciousness-based, holistic-based cosmology, I recognize that the concept of as above, so below is not just a, lit- a metaphorical thing, but very much a literal thing. And so I, th- I think our culture today devalues the impact of our relationship to the stars and the planets and how the astrological alignments impact our physio- physio- physiology. But I think that's actually unique in the history of humankind. And if you look at all these ancient civilizations, they very much believed that the stars had a very dramatic impact. And I think the more that you that you learn about astrology, which again, I know barely nothing besides having gone to this, this reading, the more you learn about it, the more, the more legitimacy I think there really is to it. But I, I didn't most the astrology has been a thing for forever but a a big reason for that is because people didn't understand how the world worked like they didn't understand chemistry they didn't understand germs they didn't understand you know a a lot of things that we do now understand today with modern science and, and medicine and but see i would i would disagree with that i think they understood a lot of things better than we do right i think a lot of things in our modern medicine and modern science are built on faulty cosmologies right and that that they're missing things that were abundantly clear to ancient civilizations back in the day so are you saying that you would trade modern medicine for the mayan medicine 
Like if you were sick. I mean, I, you- I, I can't, I, I mean, that's such a, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> First, I don't know what the Mayan I, like. I don't know what medicine they had. Yeah. Obviously that was um, like a kind of a, 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 um, a bad question to ask. But what I was getting at there was that like, yeah, I, when people get sick, like even anti-vaxxers, when they got sick, they wanted the vaccine. You know, like when people get sick, you tend to think of things more in ter- terms of science rather than like, okay, hold on. What does my horoscope yeah, say I, I think, should do about I think, this? I, and I, I hear you, but I think that you're conflating a couple of different things first off. Second off, I think that you're um, – and I, I, this was my misconception as well until I read Robert Kennedy's book, right? Is that the entire foundations of our modern science, specifically the pharmaceutical-based science, right, that, that we have today, traces back to John D. Rockefeller and the initiatives of the Rockefeller Foundation and the efforts to uh, enforce a, a, a medical curriculum that highlighted how great pharmaceuticals were, which were themselves a derivative of petrochemicals and to suppress any, any uh, medical programs that advocated for holistic and like herbal remedies, which had been very common in medical schools up until that time. For sure. And I don't, to be clear, like, I don't, I don't believe that, that everything holistic and that everything astronomy based is is wrong at all like that's not at all what i wanted to what i what i wanted to say by that essentially what i wanted to do is kind of challenge why it is that we believe in something that's yeah. essentially not free will like you're like that's it's if you're yeah, no, you know what i mean point. like it doesn't it's point. not something that we normally believe in like we we normally believe in like the actions our own actions and the actions of you know the randomness around us in this world are what contribute to what happens in our lives but then when you look at astrology it's like uh no this is this is what's going to happen to you because of you know your convenient birthday right yeah. and like i'm obviously a, kind of a skeptic about many things as you can tell right sure. and and sure. whenever sure. i see something like that i think it's the this it's it's more likely that somebody's uh doing that to make money rather than doing that because they believe that you, you i mean but you know what i mean right like if you believe if, if a politician yeah. does something we can all usually believe that they have an agenda <laughs> rather than tr- they're doing it to sure. help you right so it, in in my sure. experience again maybe it's a background being having a background in sales but when i see like somebody say hey like this is this is, you know, your horoscope by this book to learn about the stars. Like, I usually think, oh, they're, they're trying to make money. I don't know if they believe in it or not. And when it comes to, like, things like ast- astronomy... You can, you can make that argument for anything. Sure. Like, you, anyone who's written a book. Sure, you can. But what I'm getting at is then when, when, when you do, you, like, look at horoscopes, when you do look at, at a lot of these like, predictions, you, you, there tends to be things in there that, that are correct. And those seem crazy like how how would it know that and so then you start believing it right and so i'm just saying that like it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or wrong i think it's to me it's a little far-fetched because i I fully believe in free will and i and i don't i think like Mm -hmm. if people were different if people's personalities were different based on their birthday like maybe it's because like you know i i really don't know i they they've studied like for instance like um people like their 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 age uh their birthday in the calendar year and like how they do in hockey 
for instance, and they found yeah, that, that yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, they found that yeah. like people who are who are like born in the very very beginning of the cutoff for a school and end up being essentially eleven months older than some of the other people end up doing better in hockey long term because they've kind yeah. of grown up the bigger like more experienced kid even though they're all you know within the same 12 months right so that like that type of stuff like i definitely don't i definitely do believe some of these predictions here like a lot of this makes sense i just i i don't know i i don't i don't i don't believe it like i i don't believe everything i see from looking at those and i generally tend to believe that maybe it's just somebody trying to make money and that you know that that's just that that's just i mean so so i think uh like I said, I think that, you know, you could say that there's charlatans and, and quacks in any field, you know, regardless of whether it's accepted by, you know, conventional science or whatever. Um, but I think that the free will point too is, is very valid. And, you know, I'll tell you, like, I, I definitely believe in free will, but I also think that there is determinism and I don't think it's an either or type of thing, right? I think it all gets back to us being a, uh, an independent, a relatively independent piece of this much larger whole, right? Of us representing a, a fractal of the macrocosm that is the universe. And so I think that we have both free will and determinism. And it was really interesting when I had my reading with Kate, who, by the way, is getting her PhD in cosmology, consciousness, and fit in philosophy. So like very, very credible at like a really legitimate school, just kind of, you know, not the conventional type of Western thinking, but, but nonetheless, like as she was even going back through the last couple years of my life and she could like read it on the charts, like some of the things she said were just so crazy accurate that like, it really made me think like determinism even plays more of a role than I thought with still believing wholeheartedly that we have free will also. Yeah. And how is she making these predictions about you? It's not predictions. That's like, that's, I think what you're, you're conflating. So, so what I was showing you, I'll pull it up again. Yeah. So this is, this is the, uh, the alignment of the stars or sorry, this is all based on exactly where the stars were at the time and place of my birth. So like she needed the exact time on December 21st, 89. So anyway, what you see here are the six houses of the Zodiac. Uh, sorry, there's 12 houses of the Zodiac. Six are above the horizon. So those are the constellations that you can see in the night sky when you're born. Uh, the ones below the horizon are the ones that are supposed to represent more of like the internal thing, like elements of your personality that you don't show the outside world. The one is the, the top side is more like who you are external facing. And so 10 was all about like, this is my career and my reputation. And it's like, I've got a fire sign, which shows like, that's always been something that's very important to me. And then like the seventh, the seventh um, house was the one for relationships. And like, I'm an Aries in there, which means like I'm very hot and cold, which like has, which like resonated exactly with, with my experience. And so it was more her just like reading what the charts say about me and then me kind of interpreting that and deciding like whether or not I felt that it it reflected or not. And I'd say most things, most everything it reflected and and some of it was like, damn, like that hit me really hard in the sense that like I had fooled myself into believing this wasn't something that was maybe driving me to the extent that it really was. But then I guess that does get certainly back to your point of, 
is that the truth of reality or did she incept that idea into my head, right? Like it's, uh, it's there, it, you know, it's hard to make the distinguishment, you know, for sure. It's, right. it's, these are all really good points that you bring up for sure. And I'm not necessarily that these, that saying that like people are, especially nowadays are just doing it just to make money. I'm just saying that like it, it is, it's always in the back of my mind, but, but more specifically that like, you, you can have this like I, I think it would be like kind of like a confirmation bias, which is that word. I, I don't know if I'm, that's the right one to use, mm-hmm. but like when some like you see something that that appears to be true and it is, like you you tend to believe, oh well, that's because of this or that, right? And it's it may be, yeah, but like it doesn't necessarily mean that. And I, I always just kind of go back to uh-huh. that part. Like I've seen, I've had those things done on myself, and I've gotten like like done like fortune telling and like uh, you know other types of things where like. They can essentially look at you and start guessing things about you, and some of those might be true, and then you know you start to believe in it. And I've had some of those moments too, where it's been like, "Damn, like that does like really hit like very close mm-hmm. to home." But I've always been like, for me, just the way that my brain is wired, like I I tend to just go into those situations skeptical. So when they say something that I is not is not a good fit for me, especially something that's like very opposite for me, I. I kind of lose interest and I'm like, all right, well, they're just kind of shooting in the dark on this thing. And like, yeah. I don't know, maybe this isn't all real, but I don't know. Again, like it's, sure. it's tough to change your view when like, that's kind of the way that you see the world, which is that like, you know, you are literally whatever you make of yourself that given day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think that's all great points. And, you know, certainly, before I uh, started to explore the nature of consciousness, I definitely was super dismissive of astrology. So if you'd asked me that question, you know, a year and a half ago, I probably would have said the exact same things you said. Um, so no, I, I totally get it. And then, um, shoot, I just lost my train of thought. There's something else that you made me think of. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, and the concern for me with, you know, with astrology or anything like that, where it, you know, like tarot card reading, that kind of thing, which I certainly think is, is all legitimate. And, and there are different pe- people are attuned to the future and, or the past in different ways. I also think that the whole concept of reality is a lot more abstract and malleable. So, so we should never take something as prophecy or as given, right? All, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. But then I also do think that, especially in our society today, you run the risk of people blaming the stars or the alignment or whatever, you know, it's just that victim mentality of, you know, I, I'm not in control of my life. Poor me. You know, this is the way it is. And, you know, I'm just going to complain about it and not fix the situation. Right. And I think that that truly, and this isn't why I'm skeptical of, of astronomy, but like that, that's truly one of the biggest things that could go wrong with an individual is, is like that victim mentality or thinking that like, just general negativity about themselves or their lives. Like, I think yeah. that that's, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's just like one of the worst things that can weigh a person down because really at the end of the day, like it's not true. Like your, your, yeah. your brain and your thoughts are not on your side. They're really not, you know? And if you let that stuff consume you, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost every single time. Totally. You know, totally. but it, I, I think it's like if the more open you are to the fact that, you know, you are in control and that like 
you, you, you know, like, like something that's written about you might not necessarily be true or the thoughts that you have about yourself today might not be the thoughts that you have about yourself tomorrow. Like it opens yourself to a whole new level of freedom that you didn't, didn't really see outside of the box. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it gets back to all the like kind of idea of like, you know, we, reality is, is what we perceive, right? So it's like at the end of the day, and it's like almost like you can relate it to the psychedelic experience, right? If you have a transcendent experience that changes your life and, you know, you feel gives you purpose or whatever, whatever some of these recurring themes you hear for people who've had these psychedelic experiences, whether or not that's a hallucination or an experience of a, 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 a true alternate reality, like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the right. effect on you and, and your actions is the same. True. And they've found that too in like placebo studies. Like sometimes mm-hmm. like all totally. you need to change your action is thinking that you took something that was going to change your actions. Like it's a big, big thing. Uh, so it's, I, I think a lot like in, in those cases, like the more if you're stuck in a certain rut or, you know, if you think that like if you're stuck in a career or if you're stuck like with like, you know, like friends or partners that you're not like super happy with, like, obviously it's, it's, it's tough to lift yourself up and see outside of that. But that being, uh, I don't know, like, uh, being open-minded to, to how this whole consciousness thing works and, you know, everything around it is like the first step to, I don't want to say recovery, but like the first step to like getting to a a different place in life. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of that comes down to like understanding how the brain, not necessarily how the brain works, like on like a chemical way, but understanding like really like a lot of it's just metaphors for how the mind works. Right. Like really, really getting, how like thought works and how like what your brain does all day and like how it loves to like worry and like drift off and like it doesn't you know loves to by default at least for me it loves to you know reserve problems for your future self to deal with and really like (laughs) really like prioritize like the current present self right and so the more that you you realize that that like your brain is essentially out to get you And, you know, like the media is out to get you or like that you shouldn't trust these like internal or out external sources and you should just do, you should just execute whatever that might be that you want to execute. You just go ahead and do it. And like, you don't, you know, you don't feel weighted down by those experiences much anymore. And this is coming from somebody who like felt all of those things for a long time. Um, but yeah, I saw the light one way or another, whether it was through Burning Man or psychedelics or meditation or uh, God knows what. Probably one of those three. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't. Uh, it definitely wasn't Tomorrow World. Although meeting you there was 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 great, but that wasn't really the no. uh, the educational moment that some of our other trips have been. <laughs> uh, That's hilarious. Man, well, Spencer, man, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you again for uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, for putting up with me uh, firing back on some of your things. I love, Dude, the, I love it, the, man. the conversations that we have. I thought it was interesting that like you texted me that one time, and you're like, you know, by the way, I'm not like I don't mean to like sound like I'm like pushing back on this stuff. I'm just like interested, and I'm like, no, like I love these kind of conversations. Like, yeah. like my wife always calls me like an uh, like argumentative in that way, in the sense that like I just like to argue about like things that like because that's how I learn more. 
you know and i totally. I, and I think that you're you're similar in that way because like you're able to like take somebody who might or may not believe in what you're trying to say and like explain things in a way that really really helps change somebody's point of view or at least like enrich it right uh i, I feel totally. like there's like surface level conversations a lot of times that you have with most of your friends they don't like they're not like stimulating to me but like talking to somebody like yourself who's very educated about all of this and like really like the, the things that you believe in you believe in for very damn good reasons mm. i i i love doing that i could do it all day every day totally. <laughs> totally. dude me too man and i appreciate how you come at things from such a different perspective than me a lot of the time and, and that you will push back on all this stuff and uh you know, bring uh, bring your pragmatic attitude to my hippy dippy pie in the sky <laughs> outlook on things sometimes. And uh, you know, I think it's it's again like it, while we come at things from different perspectives a lot of the time. One of the reasons why we're both so passionate about free speech is that when you don't have these types of conversations and you aren't able to talk about these scary or taboo topics, then you know you who knows what the truth is. Right. And, and we've been lied to before by the establishment. You know, I think, I think everyone knows that it's just a matter of to what degree do you, do you see that the, the deception has been there? Sure. For sure. But it, yeah, I, I, I don't see like the intellectual conversations ever, you know, going away. Right. If we have to meet up to yeah, do totally. it, then so be it. We'll do it. Right. Totally. Um, but it, I, I feel like it's very healthy for the mind and uh, the soul to have these types of conversations, especially to speak about things with other people that like don't agree with. Like I can't stand talking to people that like, I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to say I can't stand talking to people that I agree with on everything. That's actually pretty convenient, but I, that's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty fucking boring after a while. Right. To talk about people where you're just like, yeah, yeah. Rah, rah. Like, I think it's a lot more enjoyable to like disagree with somebody and get into the trenches with them and like, really like see yeah. what their opinion is all about. Like I just, that's like stimulating right um but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you started this podcast so that you can have these types of conversations more formally too with people because i mean if, if it wasn't for this you and i probably would not have had a you know a two-hour phone call tonight it would have been great if we totally. did but what like when we're together we could talk for all day but like we're just not the type of people that are going to call each other and have two-hour phone conversations we're not like my, totally. <laughs> my, like, my jewish mother or something right <laughs> But yeah, this has been great. Thanks again for having me, Jordan. Absolutely, brother. Thanks again. Have a good uh, rest of your evening. Yeah, take it easy, man. Take care. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. This outro is called Crisis Breeds Opportunity. In this conversation, Spencer and I went down a number of dark rabbit holes. I hope that the conversation did not come off as depressing or scary, as my intention with sharing these ideas is the exact opposite. That through increased awareness and transparency about what's really going on in our world, we can find sustainable systemic solutions that will usher in a brighter future for humanity. So while on a superficial level, the world appears to be moving towards increasing crisis as the cabal behaves more like a wounded animal, at a more fundamental level, we're witnessing a time of unparalleled opportunity. With that context, here are five major world events that took place since the time Spencer and I recorded, all of which have been underreported and or intentionally misreported. Number one, Elon Musk completed his acquisition of Twitter. 
As I've learned about the depths of the intelligence agencies and their involvement in Silicon Valley since day one, I've wavered as to whether I trust Elon Musk as a man of integrity. My distrust of Silicon Valley executives stems from excellent investigative reporting by Whitney Webb and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., amongst others. That, coupled with the behavior of many of these tech platforms during the pandemic, has strengthened my conviction that many of the most important tech platforms and their leaders are compromised organizations operating on behalf of the state. This list includes Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Wikipedia, just to start. My biggest skepticism around Musk stems from his close ties with Peter Thiel, who I do not believe to be a man of integrity. This distrust begins with his position on the steering committee of the Bilderberg Group, an organization consistently affiliated with the motives of one-world government and transnationalism. On Substack, I've included a link to several additional resources upon which I base this accusation. Thiel and Musk co-founded PayPal together, which which they sold to eBay in 2002. Musk personally pocketed about $180 million from the sale. Thiel's venture capital fund, Founders Fund, subsequently backed Musk's company, SpaceX. Furthermore, as the founder and CEO of SpaceX, Musk undoubtedly has signed top-secret government contracts and is under non-disclosure agreement with the military-industrial complex. So whatever he can say publicly is not necessarily consistent with what he knows privately. With all that said, I believe Musk's acquisition of Twitter is a huge win for the defense of free speech. Every day, Musk proves with his actions that he is deserving of my trust. Like all of us, Musk does not understand all the pieces of the geopolitical chessboard. However, it looks to me like he is someone willing to fight for truth and against censorship, which is much more than can be said of most of the wealthy elites. Plus, the fact that the mainstream media hates it shows me that the sale was a big win. Number two, the suspected assassination of Nikolai Mishijin, co-founder of MakerDAO. Nikolai Mishijin was found dead in San Juan, Puerto Rico on October 29th. His death is still under investigation, but is not considered a homicide at present, according to the San Juan police. The fact that it is not being considered for homicide has been widely contested. Mishijin's company, MakerDAO, was instrumental in developing smart contract systems for decentralized, fully transparent, and stable cryptocurrencies. Essentially, all the things transnationalist crime syndicates like the World Economic Forum hate. The day before his death, he tweeted the following. CIA and Mossad and pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking, entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands. They are going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was a spy. They will torture me to death. About six weeks earlier, Mishijin had tweeted the following. Three possible futures for me. One, suicided by CIA. Two, CIA brain damage slave asset. Three, worst nightmare of people who fucked with me up until now. I am sure these are the only options. Now, these tweets might sound too ridiculous to believe if they didn't tie together many of the other threads of truth currently coming to the surface. We'll return to the allegations of CIA brain damage slave asset shortly. As it relates to allegations of a sex trafficking entrapment ring, proof continues to compound that our secret police agencies have been running blackmail schemes to entrap the highest levels of government, science, private enterprise, and media. That this criminal enterprise, of which Jeffrey Epstein's operation was but a small piece, extends into human trafficking in the illicit drug trade, two of the most important sources of funding for this criminal enterprise. Further, the evidence continues to mount that people in the highest levels of American government have been directly involved 
in both human trafficking and the illicit drug trade, all of which I'll return to shortly. For now, I want to highlight how Mashijin's likely assassination reflects the importance of decentralized finance in avoiding the financial control of organized crime syndicates. The brilliance in the technology behind Bitcoin is, the, is in the lack of need for a trusted third party. We can have a transaction ledger that is immutable, transparent, and yet permits the anonymity of individual users. Not only that, the principles of cryptography and blockchain technology permit for the development of an infinite number of currencies. So if users collectively lose faith in individual coins like Bitcoin or Ethereum, they can decide on any infinite number of new currencies into which they convert. Again, all things the likes of the World Economic Forum hate. Crypto being digital has positives and negatives. The negatives being that our digital infrastructure has points of vulnerability. Most of these vulnerabilities are currently controlled by the existing corporatocracy. The most dangerous scenario would be a centralized digital currency like those promoted by WEF puppets like Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Nevertheless, I believe the underlying thesis of Bitcoin equals freedom rings truer today than ever before. As we transition to a decentralized economy free from the influences of oligarchy, cryptocurrency will play an important part of that development. We can honor the life of Nikolai Mashijin by building on the ideas he and others have developed, by getting to the truth of his death, and by bringing justice to the perpetrators of his murder. Number three, FBI agents raid the home of Dreamland Resort website dedicated to exposing Area 51 secrets. On November 11th, FBI agents raided the home of Jorg Arnu, who founded Dreamland Resort. According to Dreamland's website, for 20 years and counting, Dreamland Resort has been the most comprehensive source of information on Area 51, Black Projects, the Nellis Ranges, TTR, and the ET Highway. The webmaster is a 25-year Area 51 research veteran and a resident of Rachel, Nevada, right outside the gates of Area 51. Longtime ET investigative journalist George Knapp reported on the story in which police seized all computers, files, phones, and photos. At the same time, another team of a dozen or more agents stormed into Arnu's Las Vegas home, seized all digital devices and files, and held his girlfriend at gunpoint. The motive for the raid is still unknown. Some researchers have suggested that the website found evidence suggesting Russia is about to declare ETs and UFOs a reality in coordination with the United Nations to leave the Biden administration looking bad for knowing the UN announcement plans but withholding the truth from the public. Others have suggested the webmaster obtained evidence of an upcoming false flag attack framed as hostile extraterrestrials. Whatever the truth, we should expect more major announcement regarding the ET phenomenon in the coming months. Number four, Sam Bankman-Fried and the collapse of FTX. On November 11th, FTX, one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges, filed for bankruptcy. The exchange blew up seemingly overnight, just six months after Fortune published an article comparing Sam Bankman-Fried to J.P. Morgan in the Panic of 1907. Perhaps this comparison will be even more fitting as the truth comes out about both Bankman-Fried and Morgan. So what actually happened? What is FTX and what are the implications of its crash? The story has been the topic of lots of speculation, disinformation, and misdirection. That said, Peter Yang published a series of tweets on November 12th on the history of the company, which follows. One, SBF Sam Bankman-Fried was raised by two Stanford law professors and went to MIT. In 2017, 
He founded Alameda Research, a quant trading firm at just 25 years old. He made millions by trading on Bitcoin's price difference between Asia and the U.S. I'd highlight that we should be asking, where did he get the huge sums of capital that would be necessary to make millions trading on Bitcoin's price difference? Continuing with Peter Yang's tweets, number two, two years later, SBF launched FTX, which became a top three global exchange. Valued at $32 billion, the exchange's investors included Sequoia Capital, Paradigm, and Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. Sequoia even wrote a glowing profile of SBF that has since taken down which was named Sam Bankman-Fried has a savior complex, and maybe you should too. The founder of FTX lives his life by a calculus of altruistic impact. Three, SBF's personal net worth rose to $26 billion. He used his fortune to first become the number two biggest donor to the Democratic Party in 2021 to 2022, two, host a conference with Tom Brady, Giselle Budchin, and other celebs, three, plaster FTX all over cities and arenas, and four, bailout crypto firms. Tweet four. Alas, the house of cards was destined to fall. Earlier this month, Coindesk published a report that most of Alameda's holdings were in FTT, a token invented by FTX. Soon after, CZ Binance shared that Binance is selling all of its FTT tokens. And here's a tweet from Binance on November 6th. As part of Binance's exit from FTX equity last year, Binance received roughly $2.1 billion USD equivalent in cash, BUSD, and FTT. Due to recent revelations that have come to light, we have decided to liquidate any remaining FTT on our books. Tweet 5. This led to a massive decline in FTT token price, making FTX insolvent. Binance considers bailing out FTX on November 8th and walks away one day later after looking at the books. 6. The revelations come out like rapid fire. SBF claims that FTX and Alameda are separate entities. In reality, the whole operation was run by a gang of kids in the Bahamas. The CEO of Alameda is a 28-year-old that SBF reportedly dated. Tweet 7. According to Reuters, SBF secretly moved $10 billion in customer funds from FTX to Alameda. $1 billion of that is now missing, possibly due to a backdoor that was implemented in secret. Asked about the missing funds, SBF responded, Question mark, question mark, question mark. In a subsequent examination, FTX legal and finance teams also learned that Bankman-Fried implemented what the two people described as a backdoor in FTX's bookkeeping system, which was built using bespoke software. They said the backdoor allowed Bankman-Fried to execute commands that could alter the company's financial records without alerting other people, including external auditors. The setup meant that the movement of the $10 billion in funds to Alameda did not trigger internal compliance or accounting red flags at FTX, they said. In his text message to Reuters, Bankman-Fried denied implementing a backdoor. Tweet 8. Last night, millions of dollars started moving out of FTX to anonymous wallets. FTX claims it's a hack, but many are saying that it's an inside job. FTX has been hacked. All funds seem to be gone. FTX apps are malware. Delete them. Chat is open. Don't go on FTX site as it might download Trojans. Tweet 9. FTX has filed for bankruptcy and SBF has stepped down. The new CEO, John Ray III, was the lawyer brought on to clean up Enron. Ironically, Enron and FTX have the same mission statements. And we see that the FTX mission statement was built by traders for traders. So researchers who dive into SBF's story note massive plot holes as to how Alameda and FTX made their money Enough to make the Game of Thrones Season 7 showrunners cringe. 
As more comes out about the FTX Ponzi scheme, I suspect we'll continue to find more evidence linking high-ranking members of both the Democratic and Republican parties to a money laundering scheme. Many suspect foreign aid to Ukraine is being partially funded back into our politicians' pockets by FTX and other platforms, likely with the support of the World Economic Forum. It's time we move past blind partisan politics and recognize that our government has been infiltrated by threats, both domestic and foreign, and we start holding our leaders accountable for their actions. In the meantime, legislators have tried to misdirect the fallout from FTX's collapse to claim crypto is imploding and that we need more regulations to protect us from this type of fraud. I suspect these politicians are actually laying the groundwork for additional regulations that will prevent the free exchange of currency out of USD into crypto as economic conditions worsen. We cannot let that happen. I'll say it again. Bitcoin and decentralized finance more broadly equals freedom. Number five. Hunter Biden's laptop probe includes human trafficking. On November 17th, U.S. Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, announced that the Hunter Biden laptop probe showed suspicious activity reports connecting him with suspected human traffickers. The White House and mainstream media were, of course, quick to dismiss the allegations as nonsense conspiracy theories thrown by Republicans to discredit the Biden administration. Because, of course... When it's Trump, it's collusion, but when it's a Democrat, it's conspiracy. Why should these accusations not be so quickly dismissed? In April 2019, a man claiming to be Hunter Biden dropped off three laptops and an external hard drive to a Delaware computer repair shop owned by John Paul Mac Isaac. The man abandoned one of the laptops in the external hard drive. The following comes from Mac Isaac's lawyer, Brian Delarocca, regarding the timeline which followed. According to John Paul, recovering the laptop data was difficult because of the significant liquid, da- liquid damage to the drive. He would boot the computer and transfer as much as he could before the computer shut down. Then he would boot up the computer again, verify what was copied, and then transfer more data until the computer shut down again. This process repeated several times. During this process, John Paul saw certain pieces of information, but at the time he did not think anything of it. Instead, John Paul completed the work and contacted Hunter Biden to let him know. Hunter Biden never responded. As requested by Hunter Biden, a secure payment request was sent in an email but was never paid. John Paul contacted him at least one more time, but Hunter Biden never responded. The policy of the shop is that items not picked up within 90 days of the completion of the services will be treated as abandoned property. Around mid-July of 2019, news of Hunter Biden's business dealings with the Ukraine were coming more into focus, and John Paul started to get uncomfortable with the information he had seen. He was unsure if the hard drive contained information pertinent to the legal investigation. At that point, he reached out to his father, a retired colonel in the U.S. Air Force, for advice about what he should do. They both decided that going to the FBI and handing over the Mac and the drive was the best course of action. Soon thereafter, John Paul's father took a copy of the hard drive to an FBI office in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The FBI turned John Paul's father away. Then, in mid-October of 2019, an FBI agent reached out to Colonel Mac Isaac and wanted to discuss the Mac and drive. At that point, Colonel Mac Isaac passed along John Paul's contact information. The FBI then reached out to John Paul and met him at his house to discuss John Paul's concerns. On December 9, 2019, The FBI served a subpoena on John Paul for the computer, the hard drive, and all related paperwork. He willingly gave it to the FBI and was happy to see it go. Out of an abundance of caution, 
John Paul made a copy of the drive in case he was ever thrown under the bus as a result of what he knew. As John Paul watched the impeachment trial, he wondered why there was no reference to the information he had provided to the FBI. As a result, starting in February of 2020 and until July of 2020, John Paul reached out to several members of Congress to notify them of what he had in his possession. His request fell on deaf ears. Out of frustration, in the beginning of September, John Paul reached out to someone he thought would be able to provide the information directly to the president. That person was Rudy Giuliani. A day after John Paul reached out to Giuliani's office, Robert Costello, Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, contacted John Paul to discuss the information and John Paul's concerns. On September 24th, 2020, John Paul then submitted information about the drive to Senator Ron Johnson through the whistleblower link on Senator Johnson's website. After that submission, and while Giuliani's office was still trying to verify the information, Senator Johnson released the Senate report on the Biden business dealings. As, as we all know, prior to the New York Post's expose, rumors began to circulate about the existence of Hunter Biden's laptop. Those rumors did not start with John Paul. We believe, due to the timing of the rumors, that the information may have been leaked by Senator Johnson's office. After the New York Post broke the story in October 2020, Twitter locked the Post out of its account for two weeks over baseless charges that the expose used hacked information. This was, of course, just a few weeks ahead of the 2020 election, so knowledge about the laptop could have significantly impacted the election results. Despite the laptop's suppression, by March 2022, even mainstream media outlets like the New York Times admitted it was authentic. So what exactly was on Hunter Biden's laptop? A report by the Marco Polo Group lists six alleged crimes committed by Joe Biden, including tax evasion and violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA, alongside 459 crimes it alleges were committed by Hunter, including illegal foreign lobbying and money laundering. The situation continues to develop with the Russian conflict in Ukraine, the FTX money laundering scheme, and the Biden's involvement with the country. As it does, we should continue to question the mainstream narrative as to what the hell is actually going on in Ukraine. From there, we must ask, how does human trafficking potentially play into this whole story? There's been increasing evidence over the past few decades that the organized crime syndicate responsible for the New World Order is heavily involved in human and child trafficking. This illegal enterprise is used as a funding source for criminal activities and involves members of the highest levels of American government. Take the story of Kathy O'Brien, for example. In 1957, Kathy was born into a multi-generational incest family in Michigan. Her father eventually sold her into sex slavery as part of the CIA's MKUltra program, MK standing for mind control. Kathy was used as a mind-controlled slave for several decades. During captivity, she gave birth to her daughter, Kelly, who was also victimized in the MKUltra Project Monarch program. Both Kathy and her daughter, Kelly, were rescued by intelligence insider Mark Phillips in 1988. Kathy and Mark provided testimony for the U.S. Congress in 1995, which was censored for so-called reasons of national security. Unsurprisingly, the censors were the same perpetrators against whom they were testifying. Still, Mark and Kathy were able to release their stories in two books, Transformation of America and Access Denied for Reasons of National Security. Officially, MKUltra and the CIA's mind control experiments stopped in 1973 and details were brought to the public attention in 1975 as part of the church committee hearings. The blame was conveniently placed on scapegoat of the day, Sidney Gottlieb, and the depths of the project were swept under the rug. Unofficially, these projects never stopped. 
Rather, the CIA's work in psychological warfare, ritualistic abuse as a form of mind control, and the development of psychotronic weapons escalated over the subsequent decades. Remember Nikolai Mashijin's concern of becoming a CIA brain-damaged slave asset? Mashijin's tweet may not sound so crazy when you learn about Kathy O'Brien's life, incredible as hers is too. I warn you that what you're about to hear is graphic and involves allegations against the highest members of American government. The more I've learned about Kathy's stories, as well as others knowledgeable about human trafficking, the more I believe her. I encourage you all to check out her podcast, Transformation Podcast, to learn more about this criminal human trafficking enterprise. If you accept her story as truth, as I have come to do, there can be no denying this paradigm-shattering fact, that the fascists did not lose World War II. They simply went underground and infiltrated governments around the world, including the United States of America. We are today living in the Fourth Reich. We've been conned into misplacing our trust with criminal heads of states. Here's Kathy from a 2007 interview. There's a criminal faction of the U.S. government that was actively involved in MKUltra mind control. When the Nazi and fascist scientists were brought into the United States, it was as though you know we didn't win the war um, against Nazi Germany. Instead, we just simply transferred it over here, and it was being used on the, the population, either in a form of mass mind control, which is very prevalent today through social engineering and manipulation through the medias and um, information control, um, which are all very strong forms of mass mind control, or it can be the kind of absolute total robotic mind control that I experienced. Right. And there was a local politician at the time that was actually sanctioning um, the kind of abuse that I was going through. My father's sexual abuse of me had extended into child pornography, and he was selling the child pornography through the local Michigan Mafia child pornography ring. He um, only had a sixth grade education, earned his, his living as a worm digger, and so he was supplementing the family income with the proceeds from child pornography of me. Well, this local politician knew that any child who was so abused as to be used in pornography would be suffering from this dissociative identity disorder, which made me a prime candidate or a chosen one for MKUltra mind control. It was so well known that with that kind of compartmentalization, that would leave the subconscious mind open to be easily led. The subconscious mind doesn't have any ability to reason, any ability to consciously comprehend, any ability to question, or to do anything other than exactly what it is told to do. So um, this local politician approached my father and told him that he could have immunity from prosecution if he would agree to sell me into MKUltra mind control. And my father thought that was great. He thought, well, this is wonderful. The government condones child abuse. It's, it's so for what purpose did they want to have you sold into MKUltra mind control? There's various reasons why they were targeting children like myself. Many of them were being targeted for military special forces. Many were being targeted for the intelligence community. And in my case, that was um, the direction that I was used eventually throughout my mind control victimization. I was used on a White House Pentagon level 
because I had been sexually abused and my sexuality was heightened, that was a focus of the abuse where I would have um, be used sexually with various politicians and um, deliver government secrets and uh, at a time like that because they believed what better place to store government secrets than in the mind of someone who can't think to bring these, these memories to mind to tell somebody. They thought it was a good place to store secrets because another function, uh, automatic function of the brain when it is exposed to trauma is it photographically records events surrounding trauma. So there's like a photographic memory within this little compartment. Even though it can't be remembered over here and thought to be brought to mind, there's still, nevertheless, a photographic memory within that compartment. And that's where the government secrets were stored. Toward what end, just so I'm clear on this? They would store secrets to be used toward what end? What was the The various operations that I would be used in throughout my victimization because this particular politician went on to become the unelected president of the United States, and that's Gerald Ford. And that was the Michigan politician. That, yeah, that he was just a local politician at the into, time. Okay. Went be, be, yeah. went into state politics and became the unelected president of the United States. Seemingly bizarre set of circumstances, but it was so also natural to my experience in and um, in, in my existence under mind control. Kathy goes on to relate her experience in the MK Ultra program. So you were introduced. How did you first end up in their company? How did this happen? Well, once that it, once I was um, thrust into MK Ultra mind control, my father was flown to Boston, Massachusetts, where there is a criminal faction of the Catholic Church, which also funded Adolf Hitler. I mean, there's all kinds of public records of that when you follow the money. This criminal faction of the Catholic Church, which I was being raised in, um, would take with the information that they had learned about the effects of trauma on the human mind through such things as the Spanish Inquisition and the Crusades, combine it with the Hitler-Himmler research and com- further combine it with what the CIA now knew about um, technological aspects that were just coming into play and this whole combination of mind controllers becoming a very powerful form of of, of mind control. Of course, now we know that the uh, that Boston connection, came, the the abuse in the Catholic Church came to light and emanated out of Boston. Right. It was a very deliberate and systematic abuse of children for the purposes of mind control. There was a perversion diversion used to emotionally mislead people away from the fact that children were being abused for a deliberate purpose. Mm-hmm. And instead they were saying it was homosexuality because if they can emotionally mislead people another direction and, and divert them with a perversion diversion in some other direction, they're not looking at the reality of the facts mm-hmm. of what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And at that particular time, the... Um, this, this whole criminal faction was being led by a, a cardinal law who was since caught in the, this whole um, Catholic child abuse scandal that was going on. He didn't go down, though? No, he did not. Um, as a matter of fact, the governor of Michigan at that time was another person that I was exposed to in MKUltra mind control at the instruction of Gerald Ford. 
and the governor at the time was George Romney. This George Romney is the father of Mitt Romney, who is currently running for the president of the United States. Mitt Romney was um, like 12 years old when I was just a little bitty thing. He was a little bit older than I was. But nevertheless, um, his father was actively involved in bringing mind control into a much more powerful form into the Mormon church. And it was perpetuated, and it has, as a matter of fact, the Mormon church is the number one place where our FBI is drawn from because once they complete their mission, they're already so robotically compliant that they just automatically go into doing exactly what the government uh, tells them to do for, for that aspect of things. It's interesting to note that Mitt Romney was governor of Massachusetts at the time of the Catholic child abuse scandal and was instrumental in not only covering that up and perpetuating the diversion, but um, Cardinal Law was sent to the, to the Vatican. He was given a transferred, like so many priests are transferred around whenever they're caught in this kind of, of child abuse. He was transferred to uh, and given a promotion into one of the highest positions in the Catholic Church and even said the eulogy for um, when the Pope died um, not, not too long yeah. ago. So he's given a very yeah. prestigious position instead. So this mind control is very prevalent, mm -hmm. and it's very well controlled through the distinct placement of certain individuals very high up, either in the religious aspect, but most likely in politics um, worldwide. Unfortunately, Kathy's experience is far from an isolated event. Here's a montage of Kathy's rescuer, Mark Phillips, and mind control project survivors, Claudia Mullen, Christy Allen, Annette Lucas, and Christine DeNicola. What has happened to Kathy O'Brien is happening all around the world. I was exploited unwittingly for nearly three decades of my life. We were sold to the federal government by our father and his priesthood and military leaders. I was being trained to be a sex slave for the elite. My family were used as entertainers, child pilots in wars, medics, special messengers, high-priced call girls, presidential models, sports figures, and international spies. There were countless other children in my same situation. Most of the children there were babies and toddlers. I was strapped down in a sort of lab-like setting. These experiments were performed on me in conjunction with mind control techniques and drugs. The deliberate dissociating through trauma Dissociation also serves the purposes of the occult because the children have no day-to-day -day memories of the atrocities. Although the process of recalling these atrocities is not an easy one, nor is it without some danger to myself and my family, I feel the risk is worth taking. Since sharing it, I've lost a 20-year singing career, lots of money, my health, and my home. All these atrocities did occur to me and to countless other children, and all under the guise of defending our country. These psychopaths at the top believe they'll create a satanic order that will rule the world. At a high level of the U.S. government, there was support of this kind of thing with Operation Bluebird, Paperclip, Mockingbird, and of course, MKUltra, still going on today. Kathy goes on to explain what happened after her rescue, as her and Mark have worked to bring out the truth. What happened once this was all down on paper? When did it end up? 
before the legislature and these special committees, and how did that happen, and why did that happen? As quickly as as quickly as it was um, deprogrammed, as quickly as it was written out, it was turned over to U.S. Customs, and primarily U.S. Customs, because it was a very clean organization that was doing all they could to stop the CIA's involvement in the drug industry. Um, they were working diligently to stop the criminal activity that was that was going on. And this was some very pertinent information. I had um, bank account numbers and CIA code codes, keys, and triggers. Was that, this from imprinted on your memory? Yes, ma'am. All photographically recorded so that what and when I did write it out, it was photographic and then validated by U.S. Customs so and other factions of intelligence. Okay, so the information, the numbers yes. they were checking out. Yes, and it was it was proving out as quickly as I was deprogramming it. And this information was actually uh, helping. It should have helped more if it could have gone further, but U.S. Customs, the head of U.S. Customs, William Von Robb, just resigned because the government was covering it up as fast as as it was being uncovered. But nevertheless, many people in the intelligence communities, many people in law enforcement, many people in the, the federal law enforcement agencies were became very disillusioned with the criminal politics and were doing began doing all they could from their own positions to make a positive difference and dismantling this um, this horrible mind control um, effort that that was going on because our wars were being perpetuated with right. it as well. Well, has has any of what you relayed to them been discredited? Has seriously discredited by anyone? Not at all. The only it's all been covered up by the 1947 National Security Act mm -hmm. by those criminals who are still in control of the government. The same ones you're talking the about. The same they're handful not dead, of people. They're still there. And, and matter of fact, this same this same handful. In 1984, I had cause to be in um, uh, Lampy, Missouri, which is just over the line, over the, the line from the Arkansas Mina uh, operations. And Bill Clinton and George Bush, who are, who are very good friends, along with Dick Cheney, who they're all very good friends um, with the same agenda. Um, George Bush, who I consider to be the highest up, along with Dick Cheney, they George are. George Bush Senior. Yes, George Bush Senior, definitely George Bush Junior. I know for a fact and witnessed and is is under absolute mind control. I've himself. always thought that just he is. He's on, that he's he is a good example of what mind control looks like. He can deliver a speech verbatim because it's been programmed in. And it's but the same one. Him, the next seventy times when yes. the media gets it, it hasn't changed a bit. No, his inflection as, is the same. Exactly, he, the voice inflection is the same as how it's programmed in. But ask him a spontaneous question, and he can answer it. And that's exactly what mind control looks like. That's exactly um, how how I would have how I looked under mind control at that time. But one place where they were training the um, military special forces, in particular, was at this. Uh, Swiss Villa Amphitheater in Lampy, Missouri, where I had cause to be exposed to George Bush and Bill Clinton, who were involved in a military maneuver called the Most Dangerous Game, which is a form of human hunting, and is supposed to teach a person they have no place to run and no place to hide. Well, I since know better than that. Um, 
there is a place to run and it's right at them with the truth. There's no need to hide. They're the ones who are hiding mm -hmm. what they're doing mm -hmm. um, under the 1947 National Security Act and any, any other means that they can come up with any perversion, diversion, or, or anything else mm -hmm. that, uh, that they might do. But nevertheless, I heard Bill Clinton and George Bush talking. And George Bush told him then, that when the American people became disillusioned with Republicans leading them into what Adolf Hitler termed and George Bush termed the New World Order, this mind-controlled society, then Bill Clinton as a Democrat would be put into place. And that was his uh, reward, so to speak, for all of the funding that he was doing through the cocaine operations. Um, George Bush ran this country through the Reagan administration. Yes. And since I was working, actively working during the, the Reagan-Bush administration, I was privy to so much of that aspect. George Bush was very much in control. George Bush Sr. was very much in control of the United States during the Reagan administration. Mm -hmm. Reagan said he was an actor, and that's all he was. He was just... Uh, a mouthpiece mm -hmm. for um, leading the people and misleading the people in, uh, in other directions. But when the, net, the plan after that was to put George Bush Jr. in. After who, Clinton. After Clinton, because he was being groomed for the presidency and under total robotic mind control. Mm -hmm. And since the plan was to have people warring with each other on a religious level, they created this illusion that, that George Bush is um, in a, a religious kind of leader, which I don't think that I don't think that flew with anybody. I don't think anybody no. bought into that I don't because think they did either. It didn't run deep. And he was treated similarly to the way you were treated. Yes, he was as, as a matter of fact, um, in Mount Shasta there's a Another uh, government military installation where a most dangerous game is played or what, and was played um, in the winter of 86. And it was there that I, my daughter was there as well and was traumatized the same way. And it was there that um, Bush Jr. was exposed to a most dangerous game when, as what well. What do you mean exposed to? He was one of the He was hunted. Who were hunted? He was by hunted. Whom? Um, at that particular one was Dick Cheney and George Bush Sr. And Seriously. one thing, one thing that that Dick Cheney always said is, if if I would kill you know so and so, whatever special forces guy it was or whomever they were ex disposing of at that time, if I would kill so and so, imagine what I would do to the likes of you. And so I always knew that my life was on the line, but that really wasn't anything that scared me or wasn't a motive. It was when Kelly's life was on the line and that what he would do to, do to her that was so terrifying. But it was so interesting because when um, Dick Cheney shot his friend in the face recently and it made the news, before George Bush Jr. Um, as our acting president at this moment um, was briefed on how he was to answer that or programmed into how he was to respond to it. The cameras were on him and asked him the spontaneous question of, um, uh, about this situation. And he said, he quoted his own programming verbatim. And he said, if he would shoot his own friend in the face, imagine what he'd do to the likes of you. I mean, what did people think when they heard that on television? That's not Those a, are the same words. Exactly. But I mean, even even... If I knew what it meant. I'm sure there's a lot of people, in, especially in military operations, that knew exactly what that meant. But what did the average person think? That he would even say that to them? Right. 
Well, he was kind of whisked off and reprogrammed at that point, and he was out of the picture for, for some time while um, the media was just scrambling to find a way to, to uh, cover that whole thing up. But that is a prime example of what mind control looks like and, and how it acts. In her books, Kathy O'Brien has provided testimony against the following individuals alleging their involvement in this criminal cabal. A cabal engaged in the illicit drug trade, human trafficking, and ritualistic child abuse. Former President George H.W. Bush. Former Vice President Dick Cheney. Former President Bill Clinton. Former presidential candidate and First Lady Hillary Clinton. U.S. Senator Robert Byrd, who led the Appropriations Committee for decades. Former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Prince Bandar bin Sultan, Saudi Ambassador to the U.S. Haitian President Baby Doc Duvalier, former President George W. Bush, former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, former President Gerald Ford, former Press Secretary Jack Valenti, former Governor of Michigan George Romney, former Governor of Massachusetts and presidential candidate Mitt Romney, former Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, the father of current Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Psychological Warfare Intelligence Operative Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino, who also founded the Satanic Temple of Set, amongst many other individuals. Kathy O'Brien's testimony is the smoking gun behind which we must face the truth. An organized crime syndicate has infiltrated the highest levels of American government. At this point, you can either choose to believe Kathy's story or you can disbelieve it but the American people deserve to be made aware of her story so that they can decide for themselves instead of letting it continue to be buried under the guise of national security. So then we come back to the allegations against Hunter Biden and his potential involvement with human trafficking. This criminal industry has a strong correlation with people elected or appointed to the highest positions in American government per the testimony of Kathy and others. Then her allegations that many of these corrupt, elite families engage in multi-generational incest as a form of mind control. Compare that to evidence found on Hunter's laptop that elements of his relationship with his preteen niece appear inappropriate. Further, a separate leak from the diary of President Biden's daughter, Ashley, noted that she was hypersexualized at a young age and that she remembers showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. On Substack, I've included sections from the Marco Polo report on Hunter's laptop regarding this relationship, as well as the quote page from Ashley Biden's diary. I do not lightly suggest the sitting president's family may be involved in human trafficking and or generational incest. These remain just speculations for now, which will develop as more truth comes out about the laptop from hell. All I'm saying is that there is significant circumstantial evidence and that we should take these allegations seriously. Regardless of how deep Biden's involvement with this criminal cabal pushing their New World Order agenda, it's become clear to me that President Biden is unfit to serve as President of the United States. The reasons I no longer support President Biden, who I voted for in the 2020 election, include the following. His support of the Fauci-Gates-led pandemic response shows his subservience to the interests of Big Pharma over responsible, safe, and cheap health care for the American public. He has been unwilling to stand up to the banking cartel and control of the Federal Reserve, and the current administration's economic policy continues to accumulate unsustainable levels of national debt. 
This puts the US dollar at increased risk of hyperinflation. He has supported disastrous policies of war on drugs for decades, and now he advocates limited gradual change. This stance also this stance again reflects his obedience to special interest groups that benefit from the illicit drug trade, including the intelligence agencies and big pharma. And he is clearly losing control of his mental and physical faculties. That does not mean I support a second Trump presidency, and I've consistently been an outspoken critic of Trump, a man who I do not believe reflects the moral values or integrity of the United States presidency. And based on his long history with guys like Jeffrey Epstein, I think it's more likely than not that Trump is involved with this crime syndicate too. The fact that our last election was between Trump and Biden just goes to show how much politics have deteriorated in our country. Yet I do have to acknowledge that I vastly underestimated Trump and fell victim to the tribalism purported by mainstream and social media. Namely, that because he acted autocratically, it somehow justified whatever obstruction of civil liberties the liberal Democrats supported. I further had to acknowledge just how right Trump was about the depths of corruption in Washington, D.C. and governments around the world. Still, given Trump's tendencies towards military armament, support of autocratic policies such as the death penalty for drug dealers, and his apparent lack of moral compass, the American people deserve a better president. Out of the gate, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida appears to be a man of competence and integrity. I recommend you all check out Kathy O'Brien's podcast on Disney Underworld, which highlights how important it was that DeSantis ended Disney World's self-governing status in the state. On the other side of the aisle, I'd highlight that Democratic candidates can and should run against President Biden in the primaries. I'd initially have interest in Democratic leaders who've shown competence in leadership, such as Governor Jared Polis of Colorado, and that have shown a devotion to truth and independent thought, such as former Democratic Rep Representative of Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. Further, I hope that legitimate third-party candidates step up and catch fire with the American public. They should further advocate for transparency in and, can and reform of campaign finance. This will help reduce the centralized power of the Democratic and Republican national committees, both of which appear to have been compromised by special interest groups for decades. Finally, I recommend some smart engineers develop a decentralized blockchain protocol through which individuals across the U.S. can log their intended votes both before and after the 2024 election. It's increasingly apparent that the American public has lost confidence in the media platforms that control polling. Therefore, such a platform could help the public to reconcile the mainstream polls as well as election results. This would also provide an indicator of jurisdictions with apparent discrepancies. This would be a more legitimate, sustainable method for validating election results versus the current administration's policy of censoring and deplatforming anyone who questions them. I appreciate you all for listening to this episode and for considering a lot of uncomfortable, disorienting ideas. With that, I'll end with a quote from hero Mark Phillips. So tell the people that the facts can be validated through expanded thinking and concern for truth. The point is people need to know about mind control. They need to know what is happening to this country's education, mental health, and justice systems. They need to know what the New World Order's agenda is about before NAFTA makes economic slaves of all of us. Armed with truth, there is no way to lose. It's all for you. Freedom! Keep 